you, uh, did you like Daredevil? The one with uh, Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck's Daredevil? Um, so loud. Am I loud? I'm turning it down, but it was just funny. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I changed my mic setup. Hopefully, I sound better, but... Yeah, no, I got, you sound great. I, I just turned you down a little bit in Discord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Daredevil hears. He has super hearing, so whenever anyone talks, right. it's thunderously loud. Uh... I, I actually recently saw Daredevil, the director's cut. Um, and you can't argue with the uh, the dramatic pacing of having Daredevil in mortal peril at the beginning. Grabbing the audience in from the drop. We gotta know what happens to Daredevil. Is he gonna make it? Is he not? Who knows? Well, does he though? Yeah, he does. He does. Oh, because the whole movie has to make sure that he makes it, right? Because otherwise it wouldn't be a two-hour film about Daredevil. <laughs> That's true. Actually, yeah. speaking of that too, I think I saw Elektra before I saw Daredevil, um, which, which let me what? tell you, was a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck, really? Yeah, I, cause I, that was like, I wanted to see bad superhero movies, so that's what I started with. I'm gonna, I'll send you a squad stream invite, but I don't know if it's really gonna make a difference. People were asking, and I was like, I mean, I'll, I'll do it. But yeah, sure. I mean, I'm a, I'm just, I have a, an old Spider-Man Super Nintendo game rolling on my stream, so. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I've just got movie uh, movie trailers for No Way Home and, like, Spider-Verse and stuff for one online. Nice, nice. Um, yeah. the pre-MCU superhero scene was, was really something, huh? Have you seen Catwoman? I never saw one of the world's worst movies. I never did. It's definitely one of the world's worst movies. What's... <laughs> dude, what's astounding? I saw Batman Returns again recently, and I really, really liked it. Um, I mean, Batman Returns is phenomenal, but what's crazy is, like, Batman Returns does a better job and a, and a more respectful job with Catwoman than an entire movie dedicated to Catwoman. <laughs> well, I don't... Uh, that doesn't sound wrong. I mean, it won a bunch of Razzies, so... Yeah, I... As I recall, the movie was actually about makeup. Like the movie was straight up girls fighting about makeup. That was the that was the motivation what? of it. Yeah. Really? There's like, there's like a makeup firm that had some deep dark secrets and I think I can't remember what Catwoman's involvement in the movie was. Uh she like she but she got like she got flushed down with some like toxic makeup chemicals. And then a bunch of cats found her and then she turned into Catwoman. Yeah. Pretty rad. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. I sent you a squad stream. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's there. It's out there. There we go. All right. The squad stream's up if you guys want to watch both of us do this thing. Um, but you're going to be able to hear us either way. So. Um, I Oh, I promised my stream I wouldn't do spoilers, at least for the first, like, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so. All right. Cool. I can, yeah. I can get away without that, I think. Yeah, no, uh, no, no spoilers. Just, just like I'm, I just wanted to find out what you were feeling about this film because I know how I felt about it, obviously. But I, uh, I have kind of a history of watching all the Spider-Man films. And yeah. So even if I had watched this film and was like, I didn't like it, or I did like it, or whatever, I have a history of Spider-Man. I don't know if you do. And so I was curious to hear what what you thought of it, what your history with Spider-Man is, etc. I, I actually have a pretty extensive history of Spider-Man. I would say oh, Spider-Man okay, has for a long time been my favorite superhero. Um, oh wow! I didn't I didn't know that about you. I mean, I don't talk about it that much, mostly because like the second I don't know, there's people who are far bigger fans than I am, 
I'm, I'm discovering that about nearly everything, you know? I was like, well, well of course, yeah. here are the things I like. Like, eight-year-old me is like, I like Spider-Man and Star Trek and Star Wars, and I probably like those more than anyone else. And then I, like, turned 18 and found out that wasn't the case at all. So it's just something that's kind of, you know, it's always been there, but... I had a Spider-Man poster on my bedroom door. Um, I guess it kind of started with, like, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. Uh, but I got from that into reading comics and stuff. So I, I read Amazing Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man through most of the 90s and into the early 2000s, which there were some really good runs in there. Um, mostly when J. Michael Straczynski took over the writing. Um, so those are those are all, honestly some of my favorite comic arcs, not to say that I'm a comic book scholar either. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I've, I've always really liked Spider-Man. I, uh, I've, I've liked most of the movies, but they, they've been kind of over the, all over the map. They really have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like by a lot, yeah. Which, you know, the source material's been everywhere, too, so it's not it's not uncommon. So, yeah, yeah I'm a... I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. I will say did the you, things that you... appeal to me about Spider-Man in general haven't really been present in the Tom Holland run of Spider-Man movies. What, uh, what appeals to you about Spider-Man? Uh, he's like... He's, he's, you know, it's friendly neighborhood kind of thing. Uh, the fact that he's is just a dude in a cloth suit... It really yeah. appealed to me and it yeah. makes him more vulnerable more human I guess the fact that Spider-Man stories are equal parts human drama in addition to superhero drama and the mm -hmm. fact that the two interchange like you can have something like Superman who barely has a human life like he, he just has he has a job out of like a human curiosity basically somebody's going to take offense to that but um, you know Bruce Wayne is a billionaire he doesn't have to work but he does and he's also mega smart for some reason um but Spider-Man like has smart. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's always a thing, right? There's some there's yeah, some universal are, yeah. traits that make them super appealing. But Spider-Man had to work shitty jobs. He had to go to school. Yeah, and he had a to teenager. try to like yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's something about that that was always a little more approachable to me. The uh, the challenge of trying to have a normal life while also trying to be super just basically trying to maintain a certain code of living and a code of ethics in a world that makes that very challenging. Or a world that forces you to, and this is kind of getting into some of the themes of the film, a world that forces you sometimes to either sacrifice yourself or your time to do the right thing, or to make very uncomfortable decisions about when you're allowed to do something for yourself. That was exactly what uh, No Way Home addressed, mm -hmm. um, right off the top, which is, uh, so that's, because I mean, I know it sounds like you probably more, you skewed more towards the Tobey Maguire's or the Andrew Garfields because they didn't really have any other uh, cinematic universe to pull from, and uh, so they started, they had to establish their own Spider-Man. But I could be wrong. Um, I mean the Tobey Maguire ones, I feel like that's more that's just Sam Raimi really. It's Sam Raimi filmmaking. It is. It totally is. Yeah, you're right. I mean Spider-Man one is a very Raimi film. Three is like, in a bad way, a very Raimi film. <laughs> Two is like a legitimately good film. Two was the yeah, only like is. for a long time it was my favorite superhero movie. Um, and then the Garfield ones, for better or worse, were a lot more comic book accurate. I appreciated that about right. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, it really did feel like a comic book Spider-Man story. You know, that doesn't make it a good story, but it certainly mm -hmm. made it feel a lot more accurate than some of the other takes. Um, but then, yeah, you get into the MCU and Spider-Man's got a nano suit and they try to inject some of that, that real life stuff in there. But mostly I thought it was a, it was an interesting adaptation of like Spider-Man themes and Spider-Man stories to the MCU and to like kind of a more 
a younger, newer audience that had different different things to worry about. So I thought that was neat too. Yeah, and uh, I think since since we're jumping, I mean, this is the third of the trilogy of the Tom Holland Spider-Mans, and No Way Home addresses the stuff that you were liking about Spider-Man, which is like him trying to live a normal life, him trying to have a girlfriend, uh, trying to go to college, et cetera, et cetera. And so it uses the MCU to, I guess, to solve that problem for him rather than him addressing it on his own. Uh, and I, I, I look, I'm, I, I'll come out and say it about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I was just reading something from Simon Kinberg, who produced the X Men films, and he was like, uh, Kevin Feige. Basically, he said he, Kevin Feige is the the maybe the best producer of all time. Hmm. Like he might he might be the the greatest movie producer that has ever has ever worked, and he's not wrong, um, especially from a commercial standpoint. Yeah, and I think I think the same thing about Feige. But it's not even about uh, commercial; it's more about like the the movies he's making. Is they all have a pretty good standard of quality. They're not like you know they're not obviously they're not going to fucking break any boundaries or. Um, they're not going to be a, like uh, uh, they're not going to be the greatest films in the world, but they're certainly better than a lot of films I watch. Um, so I'm happy to dive into the MCU, especially for a movie that I feel is going to give me a lot of other characters. Like I love seeing Doctor Strange and I love seeing uh, Happy Hogan and all those characters in there. So it's so it's exciting for me. Um, and again, without spoiling, so. Uh, but I don't know if that's how you feel about it. Cause I don't know if you're kind of a, you kind of bounce in and out of the MCU. You're sort of like, ah, I like it. I kind of don't like it. Ah, I don't like it. I like it. You, I've never really heard you commit to it either way. Uh, I mean, I was, I was enjoying it just for the scale of what was being done. Um, kind of like you were saying about Feige and, and his direction. It was really exciting to see, cause to my knowledge, it never really been done before. Uh, some, something like Marvel Cinematic Universe culminated something like Endgame. Was was really something. Yeah. Uh, just the cinematic scale of it was was a treat to behold. But uh, but much like the cyclical nature of comics, once you once you wrap up a certain storyline, you kind of have to keep going. So uh, I'm, I was kind of yeah. used to the cycle of escalation and de-escalation, and I was curious how they were going to try to build it back up again. It doesn't seem like that's really kicked in yet. I guess they're alluding to Galactus with uh, Eternals and stuff like that. But I think so. Yeah, I don't know though. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess I have yet to be captivated by anything post Endgame, mostly because the like, the pyramids have been built. You know, uh, I don't necessarily need to see the next pyramid get built. So maybe, maybe that's a weird way to say it, but I I, oh, no, I was I, into I, I, it I just to see how they executed it. But I don't know that like individual movies would have good moments. I'm trying to think of MCU films that. I mean, there's so many. Jeez. I mean, like a lot of people point at Thor Ragnarok uh, as one of the best. Um, a lot of people pointed at uh, Black Panther as one of the best as well. Uh, I don't know if you thought that. I thought um, Thor Ragnarok was amazing. They were fun rides, uh, but I, I feel like MCU movies don't really say anything. Not that they have to, but those are the kinds oh, of movies uh, that Guardians. I like the most. Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, what it um, like Guardian, I guess the message was friendship. Friendship is the ultimate power in the universe, or something. Um, I mean, a lot of people were—they th- were saying it was like the Star Wars of uh, of the MCU, 
and they established a bunch of characters that you never had seen or heard about, and then you immediately cared. I, you know, again, I thought so. That's the way I felt about it, but I don't know. That's how you. That's how you felt. I mean, they were charming. It was a charming film, but I, I don't know. I, I get. I like movies that give me a kind of deep thought to to chew on and play with. And a lot of the Marvel movies don't do that because they're not trying to. I, I'm not trying to say this is a knock against them. No, more no, that yeah, yeah. this is why they don't really occupy a whole lot of space in my mind. It's because they're they're fun stories that have a very palatable and and uh, pleasing sort of message. But the message is ultimately pretty pretty thin and doesn't really hold up to a lot of scrutiny or thought because they're you know they're hero stories. So yeah, that that's kind of my relationship with them. Is any movie that's ex as expensive as a lot of the Marvel movies are is always going to be like a good time to watch. Um, I mean, I like I like expensive movies that are bad, uh, just because. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like Transformers movies. Not to not to draw a direct comparison, but that's about where they sit in my mind. It's like this is a big dumb fun ride, and you that's know. A good, way to, good way to think about it. Yeah. But once you've been um, on a roller coaster eight times, you you kind of know the roller coaster. Yeah, I my uh, my opinion is is uh, that is that is honestly not at all the way I feel about it. Um, uh, Transformers is absolutely big and dumb. I think you're totally right about that. But the big and dumb starts to really make me bored uh, when I have characters I don't care about. So that's that's and that's what happens in every Transformers film. Yeah, is like an hour into it, I'm like, why the fuck do I care about what Shia LaBeouf is doing? Like. And with with MCU films, like uh, somebody brought out Winter Soldier, which I think absolutely has something to say. Um, and uh, Winter Soldier, like, really made me care about what happens uh, with Captain America and how he's going to continue to uphold his ideals when he's put into these horrible situations. Same with Civil War. So I really, I, I love Captain America. So I, I was... I was always like, there's no way. How, how is this movie going to continue to, uh, or this MCU going to continue to make him feel and do the same things that he, he's, you know, holding to his same ideals, um, but then also have to fight his friends? Uh, yeah, I was, so it's it's interesting you bring up Civil War, because I think I had high hopes for that movie, yeah. and, and Winter Soldier as well. I wanted Captain America to, like, not be right for one one time. Um, yeah. and see how he dealt with it. Like, I would love yeah. in Civil War for him to actually have moments of doubt or to have moments where he realizes he did something wrong because of his zealotry. I think he did. I think he does. I actually do. I really think he does go, go through that. Huh. I don't... It's And, and, and I... Because I, a lot of people went through that film watching it being like, no, Iron Man's correct here. Um, but he wasn't. Captain like, the, movie, the movie basically said he wasn't. The movie told you that Captain America's right. Right? Did I? I maybe well, I misinterpreted it. I, I, well, at the end of it, Civil War, uh, he Captain America's basically in exile. Yeah, but so he's he has, still right. He has, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, like to me, I think Lawrence. I think probably you and I have similar morals. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Um, because I've talked to people at length about uh, Tony and the way he's dealt. He dealt with it, and like people have good points about what Tony Stark was doing in that film. And even now, when I watch Civil War, I'm like, man, like, the shit he's saying is not always wrong. <laughs> so um, the filmmakers do definitely seem more sympathetic to Captain America, which makes sense because they made Captain America films before they ever made uh, Civil War. Uh, the, the Rooster Brothers did. 
So they've always they've always sort of focused on him. But I don't know. It's just a. But those are interesting debates to have. But I know what you're saying, Lawrence, because I, I felt the same way. I just don't know if. I know that everybody didn't feel that same way. Hmm. So. I guess in context too, Spider-Man's role in like the comic book Civil War was gnarly and and made Iron Man even more of a questionable asshole. Um, yeah, because he went and got this kid. <laughs> yeah, he basically made a kid the poster child for, you know, revealing his identity. I think, I think, and again, in No Way Home, that's how they kind of put that plot point in, which was really smart, I thought. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that was like, that was, that was the actual implementation of it. Instead of just like, instead of just Captain America and Iron Man having one really cool fight at the end of a movie and that's sort of settling, settling the issue. Um, I guess, I guess in canon it didn't. Uh, Captain America was a war criminal until until a purple man showed up. Uh, it's a purple man, right? Then they needed him. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Which, in a way, like, uh, is very America, or at least how we think we like to see ourselves. We're always right, and nobody wants uh. us around until something <laughs> bad happens. Then we got to swoop in and be blonde and beat everybody up. But uh, that's funny. That's funny. But yeah, I guess I guess I was wait I was waiting slash hoping, especially you know. In context of, well, maybe maybe where the United States was, to actually have the movie sort of, I don't know, have it have it, have uh, Captain America actually be tested a little bit more than just being mm -hmm. like ironclad dedicated to his his yeah. uh, morals yeah. and then being right uh, is is kind of what what it, my takeaway was. But yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. maybe I, I judged it a little too surface level. I just didn't. I I was like, because I was like you, Lawrence. I was like, man. I, well, clearly, I'm at, and Captain America's right. And then like, I had twenty people jump down my throat with a bunch of different points that I was like, ah, those are valid. Like, I didn't think about that. So it was it was an interesting discussion about Civil War. Regardless, hmm. um, I, Spider. I don't think. Uh, I don't know that No Way Home had any of those moral quandaries in them. No. Well, uh, it it did sort of. It's other, yeah, it was other than like, hey, don't fuck with magic <laughs> you know like uh just deal with the things as they come don't try and don't i guess it's not even don't have regret i guess that's the way it feels to me because obviously there's magic involved so so for I, me it's like well instead don't regret it but just deal with uh deal with those problems as a normal human being would rather than relying on uh things that that you can't control i don't man. know I, I took something else very different and, oh, oh, and much great. more troubling Good. from No Way Home. So, Good. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to avoid spoilers, but so the, you're right. The, the kind of the first act is sort of is, well, no, I can't get into those details yet. Um, so let me think thematically, you're right. It was like, can, can a hero have it all? You know, can they have a personal life? Can right. they fight crime? Um, and, and that is kind of core to most Spider-Man tales, is being caught in between doing hero stuff and doing his personalized stuff. I think in a greater way, it also provides commentary. What I liked is it kind of provides commentary on, you know, the typical hero-villain relationship. The things where I found troubling... Well, I'll get into that well, later. You, you can talk about the, you can talk about the villains, because I know, I think, I know the other point I think you're going to talk about, which is, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, him trying to cure the villains rather than kill them. Yeah. Um, the way that No Way Home addresses death, I kind of get where they're going. And, and that's real. like, that is actually a really interesting 
chestnut to bite off. I agree, but yeah. unlike the themes of the movie, or, or rather, unlike the story of the movie, the themes of the movie did try to have it all. They tried to, like, present this nuanced message that I think sabotaged itself by the actions of its characters. Hmm. Okay. But uh, to, to go into more of that, I think I'd have to talk about spoilers. Got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah, just a few more minutes. I, and we can... If, if your chat and my chat arrive, then we can just dive in. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure that no one, like, clicked on the live, do a live notification, jumped in and was like, immediately got spoiled. Oh, gotcha. I was worried. I was worried about that. Um, but if you guys want to talk about spoilers, chat, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, it looks like, I think most people, I don't, what about your chat, Lawrence? Uh, I mean, I have, I have spoiler stuff. I kind of warned people that it was, there, were, there might be spoilers before we started, and then I have spoilers in my title. So I think most people are aware that at some point we're going to get spoiled. But if not, right. here's your spoil warning. Yeah. We're down a bit um, ready. Spoil me, daddy. All right. All right, great. Um, good, yeah, because I uh, I just put it in my title as well. This is your last warning in, in my chat. Just make sure. Please click out uh, if you don't want spoilers. It's very... This will get super spoilery. All right, Lawrence, hit me with the uh, hit me with what you were talking about. Ooh. Okay, all right, all right. There's the things that I really, really liked is is sort of revisiting past hero tales, and in in like the a 2020 lens on it, basically being like, you know what, it's not okay for a hero to like beat a villain to death. Uh, maybe to there is him. a better yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah, there's a better I like solution. That Although I take I take a there's a bit of I don't know most most spider like Sam Raimi Spider Man. They ended up killing themselves. He just didn't stop it from happening, which is another kind of weird Spider-Man thing. Um, I mean, and, and honestly, the thing that I liked about all the Raimi Spider-Mans is Spider-Man lost most of the fights he was in, which is also a he weird Spider-Man thing. To, he got beat to hell, and that happened all the time in the comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man is like, he's not strong. He typically has to outthink uh, or like... I, God, and now I'm remembering it. Like in Spider-Man 3, he just basically convinced Sandman to go away, which is like... <laughs> Another issue with No Way Home is that Sandman's motivations made no sense, but whatever. There's like five five characters. They can be allowed to be a little sloppy. Um, so I guess my, my greatest issue with the movie is that they make this whole point about how there's a better solution um, mm -hmm. than death. Except, like, the characters that do die, that's okay, because they chose to do it. It's not okay if a hero beats a villain because that's bad. But if a sacrificial person puts themselves in harm's way and dies, that's okay and we should all celebrate that. That's what kind of really bothered me about the movie is that it like, it seemed to say that it's the role of a villain, or sorry, it's the role of a hero to self-sacrifice for the world in silence forever. That's kind of where the movie ended. That's the role of Spider-Man. He just gets ground oh, up right, by the right. world and he's not right. allowed to have a girlfriend and he's not allowed to have friends. He's not allowed to have anyone because that's just who he is and that's his role and if he did have anyone it would just hurt them too so like that it sets up a good hero tale but gosh is that not a good message uh and maybe i shouldn't fret about messages because it's just a superhero movie but well well lawrence i mean I, I, it's interesting why do you say it's not a good message because i guess and and i'm glad you asked actually because i've been thinking about this a lot i think i have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about that I think okay. I've I've acted in that way for a long time, and it's thoroughly unsustainable. In in my life, I've done oh. a lot of like yeah. what I consider volunteering time or effort on behalf of others. And there's this 
Like, the movie also kind of implies if you just care enough and throw enough emotion at somebody that you can change them. And boy, is that not the case either. There are people yeah. in this world that will just absorb every last ounce of goodness you can give to them and not care. Um, and again, it's a superhero movie, so maybe I'm judging it way too harshly and on the wrong standards. But it did kind of bug me how, like, uh, to, and again, for, for spoilers, sorry, uh, like, May is kind of teed up as the sacrifice that makes this Spider-Man understand great power and great responsibility. Um, why is it okay? Why are we cool that May died on her terms as a sacrifice, but we're not okay with Green Goblin dying? Why is his life more important? Well, because, because he's, he's, he's like sick, I guess? Because, well, no, because May, because May knew. Because May volunteered. Yeah, right. yeah. It's, and, and it has to do with May, volition, and, I guess. It has, it has to do with volition, exactly. Um, so what about Electro? Yeah. He was a prick. He was just a prick. He was just a sad prick. That's it. <laughs> There's nothing else to his character. And that is a lot of Spider-Man villains. It's the difference between people that have power and understand the responsibility and people that have power and don't. Um, yeah. Or yeah. the people that had a father figure like Uncle Ben to teach them the difference and people that didn't. Um, so I thought what you're what you're saying because it makes total sense to me, Lawrence. What you're saying, um, and it's interesting that you that you think that way because for me the the whole I mean the line that has you know just been through every single Spider-Man film with great power comes great responsibility. So to me, the responsibility is he has to maintain this secret identity or else people around him will die, and that's that goes with Batman. That goes with a lot of different heroes, not just Spider-Man. So I thought that was why he was like, you know, punished in quotes at the end of the film. Uh, and so, so I hear what you're saying and that's, but that was what I took from it, if that makes sense. So, but there are, there are characters who don't, who have great power and don't have great responsibility. So it's like the people who understand responsibility have to be like 20 times as responsible to make up for the people who aren't. Is, is that the idea? I, um, interesting that's a really interesting question so so the first my first uh answer to that is tony stark mm. and tony stark's a dick um and he has no responsibility because he's revealed himself to the world but he's also kind of a selfish prick uh and he always was so yes he but he and and truthfully at the very end right he sacrificed himself obviously uh, but but I th i'd say probably most of us would say well he's kind of a dick so he really never had to sacrifice anything. I mean, he gets drunk in Iron Man 2 and like, you know, fucks up his house with his suits and stuff. So it's like, he clearly has no responsibility to that. Whereas Spider-Man does because he doesn't, you know, want MJ to die. He doesn't want May to die, et cetera, et cetera. And he has to, and that's the whole point of the with great power comes great responsibility line. Now I don't, that's just what I'm taking from it. I'm not saying that there is a correct interpretation. Of that, so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's what yeah. I think. But what, what, whatever. I mean, again, I'm interested to hear your point of view because I like I, that's why I asked. I guess I guess I never I never remember there being a a plot point. Like there are throwaway scenes, sure, but like when when Spider-Man doesn't have responsibility, people die. When Iron Man doesn't have responsibility, he like gets a scratch on his car. Um. So. Yeah, you're never, right. Yeah, the, right. the screws are put to, to, to Spider-Man a lot more often because that is kind of core to most of the narratives. Um, I guess I guess and that's just what kind of bugged me in the end is that the movie was a bit sanctimonious in in saying that like life should be saved. 
But that yeah. didn't apply yeah. to the good people in the movie. Um, uh, here's here's something weird, and this is just gonna stretch out into real life. Is like you're saying, you know, like, well, Tony never had to suffer any consequences, but Spider-Man always does. That's the way life is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. you see you see fucking you know billionaires out there doing whatever they want. Yeah. And then and then you know you're at home uh, banging out an honest living, making sure that you're doing the right thing all the time. You know, it's it's the yeah. No, you're, right. you're absolutely yeah, right. So. And and that's kind of what like I had a fun time because the cameos were fun and uh I thought the I thought the final and I don't know, the final fight was interesting because the Statue of Liberty didn't get a scratch on it because of course it didn't, but yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and the idea of like the shield falling was interesting because that could mean something. Um but yeah, yeah. the the takeaway is that yeah, uh that heroes the heroes of the world, kind of like Aunt May really quietly and thanklessly sacrifice themselves for the good of everyone else and that's just how it is and i'm like damn man that sucks that's actually a that's a pretty a pretty realistic but weirdly downer take is that this is just how it is yeah i uh i kind of agree you know i not looking at it from that point of view when i was watching the film i saw it a couple times but but when Lawrence, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I, it absolutely is true. And actually, to tack on to your point, um, I actually thought Marvel, the MCU, was making commentary on the MCU uh, versus the Spider-Mans from the past because they were like, look, before, uh, the good guys would kill the bad guys and our society and the MCU has evolved now and we don't do that anymore. <laughs> that, was the, that was what I got from it. It's like the MCU is sort of honestly lauding itself um being more and, and being like and being like look 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 we want to we want to cure the bad guys rather than actually kill them because that's what that's what our society has gotten to now and me personally i am not necessarily that way like uh i kept thinking back to man of steel where in in man of steel superman has to fight zod and at the very end of the film he's like sitting there with zod in a fucking headlock and zod won't stop and he's like and he's like shouting and basically crying and he snaps his neck because he doesn't want to do it because Superman knows that that's like he doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it because otherwise Zod will not stop. And so for me, when like if if Spider-Man's going to kill uh, a crazy dude like Green Goblin, I mean, yeah, Green Goblin's killed a bunch of people and like caused a lot of chaos. And I, well, I think it's great that we're trying to cure him, but <laughs> he's done a lot of terrible shit, you know, like, I don't know. So, yeah, the the notion that like every villain is just someone who who needs like a warm hug is I thought a little weird. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I th- I think Bruce to to what you said about kind of showing that times have changed and that our superhero tales are a little more compassionate now. Um, there was that one line like Toby Toby Maguire's Spider Man didn't have a whole lot of lines. They kind of tried to make him a kind of elderly wizened sort of older Luke Skywalker type character where he just kind of shows up and mm-hmm. is quiet and reserved and whatever. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Like having a vision of like a, a late thirties Spider-Man, which shows up in the comics sometimes. I actually like the older Spider-Man quite a bit over the younger Spider-Man. But there was a line that he said where he's like, I'm trying to do better. And I was like, ah, okay. And that way the movie kind of acknowledges that he's he's admitting that the way he treated things in the past wasn't ideal. Um right, right, so I thought right. that was neat and that was totally consistent. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm seeing my chat saying, to be fair, Green Goblin had split personality disorder and Zod didn't. Yeah, absolutely. But but the lizard didn't. 
Yeah. And and uh, Electro didn't, like to Lawrence's point. They were just dicks. Yeah. Electro was just <laughs> a dweeb who got power. Uh, he was a downtrodden. He he was the Spider-Man archetype. Like those are the best Spider-Man villains because it is the it is the hero, but you know reversed. So he was just a, a nobody who got power and suddenly felt important, um, but never had you know someone die on his hands that he cared about. Yeah. So in that way, you have like a really good foil relationship where Spider-Man sees himself in somebody else, tries calling out to them, tries like reaching them uh, to whatever degree they can. But yeah, there's man, there's people who just won't listen to reason. Um, yeah, it's. I think I think it's fun, and I left the movie feeling pretty good. But the more I thought about it, the more more of a downer it kind of felt like. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I mean, it is kind of a downer ending. Uh, you know, all of his friends forget about. I mean, honestly, everybody forgets about him. So he's that he's now got to go live in a shitty. I mean, they show it. <laughs> he walks into a garbage apartment with cool. a terrible bed. You know, like it looks like shit. It ended up being a long-winded origin story, really, for like the Spider-Man yeah, that everyone yeah. knows. Is I guess he didn't have his formative loss, which the, what it's part of the story, so whatever. But the idea that you have to lose somebody to develop a moral center is a little rough. Um, but you know what? That's core. That's core Spider-Man lore. So whatever. But yeah, he got his cloth suit. He lost his nano suit. He's just a poor college kid, uh, flipping around trying to solve crimes and be the best person he can be. I was like, okay, okay. This, I like it. They they ended up where most Spider-Man movies begin, which was neat. Um, yeah. Or most Spider-Man yeah. stories begin. No, yeah, and, and I didn't. Uh, I liked. I liked that. It, it was. I kind of don't. I don't. I'm tired of seeing origin films for, for, for movies, you know, origin films we've seen a thousand times. So yeah. it's like, so I, I thought that was a neat thing. I just really hope that they don't, in the next <laughs> Spider-Man movie, please do not give me any, or I don't want any origin for the next Spider-Man film. I like, cause I know that they were going to make a Spider-Man four. They've already talked about making another one with Tom Holland. Um, I don't know that they will, but that's what they've talked about. Well, it made a ton so, of money, right? It's like the biggest. Yeah. Yes. Biggest movie yeah. since pandemic. And it made like a billion dollars in two weekends or something. And uh, I mean, with good reason. Uh, it, it's this to me was a Civil War style epic. They had put together a bunch of people, um, a bunch of stars that we all knew and loved uh, in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe. Like, oh, oh, there's a bunch of really amazing actors and characters that we had loved over the course of 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought they deserved that. I, I really did. And I thought they handled all the characters pretty well. I, I, like you said, my, I had a little bit of a problem with Sandman where honestly, Sandman kept, he kept saying the throwaway lines himself. <laughs> there, were t there were times he would say, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, he, I, he would, you know, say, so, which is fine. I, I don't, didn't matter. Didn't bother me. Technically he didn't do much in the final fight. He was just kind of there and chilling. So I think that's. That's the thing is he wasn't actually bought into fighting, but he did want to stay, which makes no sense. If he was trying to get back to his daughter, he'd want to go back to his dimension or whatever. And also he didn't yeah. die in Spider-Man 3. He just exited the film. So <laughs> I, yeah, yeah his, his inclusion was odd. And I, I also kind of get that they were doing a soft Sinister Six. So it's Sandman kind of had to be there or should have been there. That's eh, fine. It's also an it's excuse fine. to show off some like computer graphics, but. Yeah. yeah, people's motivations no. got got a little muddied in there. Let me ask you this, because this is just a plot point, and maybe the chat can help me too. I, uh, so, let's see here. So when Willem Dafoe, or I guess Green Goblin, 
And when Doc Ock showed up in the Tom Holland universe, they had just died. Or they were about right? to, I think. Right? They, had, they, like, they all had a conversation where they were like fighting Spider-Man and then all of a sudden they appeared there. So I think they yeah. were just on the, it was like their last second of being alive or whatever. And so the idea was the second you send them back, they were just going to die immediately. That, yeah, because I was like, so did they cure them and then they go and die? Is that what happened? Hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Because, yeah, they do go back to their reality. I was so confused. I was so confused by this. I was like, why are they curing these people for them to go to get teleported to a dimension where they die? Hmm. And I guess that the, that is that is a nice thing to do, but also doesn't make any sense. Why maybe not just kill them here? When they maybe when they go back <laughs> to their reality, they like whoa 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 whoa. I'm good now. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm, 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 I know. I've been cured. I've been cured. <laughs> but the um, way that the way that they all died in the in the respective films, yeah, that doesn't really play out because like Doc Ock went down because he chose to. He, right. he was like, oh yeah. my god, what have I become? I need to let go of my dream and do what's best for everybody by by letting go and sacrificing and stuff. Oh, they're they're now in branched realities. Awesome. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, so that's multiverse stuff. Multiverse stuff. Got it. Um, so it creates new timelines. Okay, all right. Well, that's better. At least they don't go and die. Um, I did watch Loki, uh, but it wasn't uh, immediately clear. Um, yeah, if they're variants, then I'm fine with that. But that's it wasn't like I said. That was not immediately clear. Uh, having watched this film twice, so that's and and I. I think I asked Autumn about it when I and I think she I think she said a kind of the same thing. She's like, there's a there's one line where they say, well, when you go back, it'll be a different universe or whatever. And I was like, OK, <laughs> so that's fine. I mean, this is this is a step too far. But does that mean that Harry Osborn is still crazy in Spider-Man? No, wait, because he would he would go back to Spider-Man one, which means Norman Osborn would be sane again. And I guess he wouldn't he wouldn't mess up James Franco's character I guess. if he's if he's fine, right? Did I don't remember a lot of the moment to moment plot details from Spider-Man 3. Did did Harry Osborn inject himself with the goblin serum? That's a great question. When he got his I like sweet uh, hoverboard. I don't either. Remember I have chosen to not yeah, I've chosen to not remember. He did. Okay. My chat is powered my hoverboard. Chat, my chat Oh yes, oh, I remember that. Oh, snowboard. That's right. Man, that was sick. My chat is saying, yes, he did inject himself with the serum. Okay, all right. Well, maybe now that Norman is alive and not crazy, that won't happen. Correct. So that's that, cool. that should help. That should help that branched reality that he goes back to. And now um, Spider-Man will have a nice father figure. I thought that was really cute, by the way. The scene where, like, uh, Norman Osborn and Peter are working together, and Norman, like, starts instinctively kind of fathering him again and taking and like joking and you know it's clear that they had chemistry from those few lines i thought that yeah. was that was really nice yeah i mean see like people are saying well it's different timelines it, right i know i guess we just don't know yet we get, truly do not get him we, we back know. get him back make well, the spider-man I mean, forward lawrence i'm gonna blow your mind you know that he is finishing up the direction of uh, Doctor Strange 2, right? Oh, that's right. He is doing that movie. Oh, boy. Yeah. Weird. Cause, cause, yeah, because Scott Derrickson left Doctor Strange, so now Sam Raimi's finishing it. Fucking weird, man. Um, so, you just got to wait I, a yeah. couple decades. You can you can launch a turd of a movie and just wait a little bit. <laughs> give, it, give it some time. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, it's that was... 
Again, like, yeah, I'm not gonna. I don't. Crack Monkey keeps yelling about Matt Pat's video. That's great. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch a 25 minute, uh, you know, video analyzing what happens. I was just curious, because, you, and that's the nice thing about Marvel, which may not be the case anymore, is that as we get into the multiverse stuff, it might get a little too complicated, and, and then I won't, I won't immediately know what's going on. Because generally in the MCU, I kind of have an idea, like. Even with the time travel stuff in Endgame, it's like, well, you're along for the ride. It's like, whatever, throw out the tiny little plot holes, and so far you'll be fine. But with this stuff, I was like, well, are they curing them to go back to where they died? And I think they have one line that throws it. That, that's like a throwaway line that says, no, they're going back to a branch reality. Yeah, I don't, I think they'll be fine as long as they don't have multiple timelines and multiple realities happening at the same time. Which is something the comics really like to do, but I think yeah, that's probably do. a bridge too far. I, I can't imagine Feige, like Feige seems to have a really good fix on what people want to see and what's entertaining, and I think yeah. I think that's too far down the comic book rabbit hole, even even for this, like that's something that might happen 50 years from now if, if Marvel movies are still going and they need to they need to surprise <laughs> people. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah. I I. I I don't know the Marvel movies will still be going in 50 years, but uh, they still earn money, probably. If they still earn money, I, I truthfully I think that this this whole thing's probably got another five to six left left in it. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, that's the way it feels to me. I think they're gonna they're oversaturate the whole deal. Even even though I love them and I'll happily see the movies they're putting out, I think it's probably got another five to six years. I could be wrong. Uh, but that's just that's just the way I think about it. Um, Lawrence, did you cry uh, when uh, Toby and Andrew sat around Tom Holland and they all talked about uh, who they lost? Yeah, I mean mostly because Andrew Garfield's performance, like he had the he had the chin, the little killed it, he killed sad it. chin. Yeah, I mean he was great as Sad Spider Man. Um, and actually, I I always liked his portrayal of Spider Man the best. Uh, even though he was oh, really? in some of the movies that were that were less liked, I thought he, as the way he portrayed Spider-Man, was was the most charming. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really glad he got another chance to kind of show people what he could do. Uh, I mean, Andrew Garfield has established a, an amazing actor, and he was just in bad films. <laughs> like, yeah, he was just he was just in bad movies. He's just, just a terrific actor. I saw the yeah you're absolutely right he's a he's a phenomenal talent I I saw him in um there was a movie that was essentially like a biopic of uh the screen I'm dropping the word the person who made rent the playwright oh yeah yeah uh, it's tick tick boom I think yes 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 and he was he was yeah. incredible in that um so yeah. yeah he's 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 great and unfortunately it's unfortunate that he was he was in those movies that people really didn't like. Um, but I thought he did a phenomenal job. I really, really liked the, yeah, the, just the, you, you got a mix, basically. You kind of got all, th or three main representations of Spider-Man in one movie, which was really fun. Got the, like, kind of sad down and out Spider-Man, the, the really young, naive, and way too energetic Spider-Man, and then the kind of mid-30s, super mellowed out, much wiser Spider-Man with, mm -hmm. with, like, back problems. I thought that was really, really cool. That, I mean, that's the. I don't. I don't know if they took this page from it, but Spider Verse was that when they brought in what's his name, Jake, the guy that does the voice for Peter Parker in Spider Verse. Yeah. 
he's a new girl. Um, I was forgetting his name. Jake something. But regardless, that's what it was in Spider-Verse. He was like this kind of old, sort of fat, Jake Johnson. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of fat, like he, he was having back issues and stuff like that. And it was great. It really was nice. It was nice to have like a, a veteran Spider-Man train a younger Spider-Man. So it was the same same basic theme in this. Uh, but it was Toby. Um, and uh, I, look, I, I'll make make no bones about it. I can't stand those Toby Maguire Spider-Man films. The, Even two? You don't like two? two? No, two is two is good. Two I enjoyed. And I went and saw them and, and like was like first in line for every single one of them. Uh, Spider-Man 1, I said for years, was a bad film. Um, and people were like, this is great. And I was like, what the fuck movie did, were they watching? Um, and then Spider-Man 2 absolutely was a good movie. I, I enjoyed that. I felt like that was um, maybe held up by, by Alfred Molina, possibly. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I've never, but, honest, like I've always felt Toby was a little wooden, um, which is weird because... Sam Raimi is like all the sensibility Raimi has is super super goofy and yeah uh, Molina has the perfect mustache twirl for two and I mean god uh, fucking Willem Dafoe is, a, is just insanely oh, so great good. being crazy he's so good yeah and, and and it's again it's like the vehicles that they were in they just they it just wasn't exactly what it should have been and uh, watching Willem Dafoe and watching Andrew Garfield and watching Tobey Maguire and a Kevin Feige produced MCU film where now it's funny we all watch these films and then uh, everybody leaves and goes oh I want to see Andrew Garfield in a Spider-Man 3 it's like no you don't <laughs> you want to see Andrew Garfield in another MCU film and that's okay Yeah, that's alright um, but you know like we want Kevin Feige to produce and we want a director that they picked uh, they want all the other shit they, you don't want an, an amazing Spider-Man 3 uh, directed by who? I don't even know who directed the first Mark two. Mark Webb did this. Was it Mark one? Webb? Ugh. His name Ugh. is yeah, because everyone's like, oh, somebody with the name Webb is directing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, and I, I love this is my favorite thing I see a lot on. Sam Raimi had no creative control over Spider-Man Three. I've seen this so many times. People apologize. I I really hope it one day that somebody apologizes for my when I make bad content. I really do. I mean, some I hope do. I, Right, I've seen some subreddit posts that are that are oh, I, make up a narrative to explain a couple things. I have boy, it's that's pretty rare. I see that. It's rare. <laughs> well, I like, would love to see. <laughs> I guess what's extra weird to me is has have people not seen Sam Raimi's other movies? I mean, they're all like that. Yeah, <laughs> they're largely two is a wild exception in that it's very watchable. It has heart and soul and tells a meaningful story. Um, one and three are much more Raimi style. So I kind of come to those. I came to those movies expecting them to be cheesy and weird, and by and large, they didn't disappoint. I mean, Bruce, we can thank Sam Raimi for the shot of Willem Dafoe just jamming his hands into like a sweet potato casserole. <laughs> Where else are you gonna see that? I mean, you're right. Uh, nowhere else huh. but in a Sam Raimi film. Did it? Um, did it. And Orca said, "Go read Sam Raimi's tweets." You're spelling Sam Raimi wrong. First of all. Second of all, <laughs> uh, I mean. It's, it's one of those things where like, and this is something that I've learned over time is just like, you just got to sort of accept it and be like, hey. by the way, Sam Raimi had, I would, I'm very, I'd be very surprised if Sam Raimi was the, had the least amount of creative control with Spider-Man three because of spider because Spider-Man one and two were huge billion dollar films that made a fuck ton of money. So if anyone had any leverage, it'd probably be Sam Raimi for Spider-Man 3. 
I would be very surprised if that was the one movie they had decided, no, you know what? We're going to take it away from Sam Raimi's like, what? I mean, um, I think people mostly laid at the feet of like, I guess it was Sony's insistence that there be three villains, that, that they have Venom in there. Um, they, yeah, they, they always say Avi Arad is the problem. They always say Avi Arad was the one that wanted Venom in it. Do you I've think Avi Arad, though, like, do you think Avi Arad was responsible for the, like, dance sequence in Spider-Man 3? <laughs> you think Sony came in there and was like, we need a hot jazz number where Emo Toby, like, does a whole song and dance and then elbows Mary Jane to the ground. That's what we need in this film. I don't know. I think that was a Sam Raimi decision. He can own that one. Which, I um, still laugh at it. He did, like, a hip thrust oh, that blew oh, yeah. a girl's hair back. That's a great shot, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avi Arad, right. And by the way, just so you guys know, um, just so you guys know, in at the end of No Way Home, there is a uh, very clearly delineated line ah, in the credits yeah. that says, thank you so much to Avi Arad for uh, believing in this vision, blah, 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 a bunch of fuck. They're all sucking his dick. So it's... so. Again, if for me, I hope I hope I make a really bad multi-million dollar film and then a bunch of people apologize for me. I, that would be great. What do you think Avi Arad did to get in the credits like that? Because that feels so much like a, he had to like cry and scream and send email. Like there's no way anyone involved with No Way Home on their own volition was like, you know what? We should really just reserve some space in the credits for Avi Arad. We should do that. That would be nice to do. Um, maybe they did, but that seems really unlikely. Uh, so People I say I just, Avi Arad wrote it himself, guys. What, his own credit? Of course he did. <laughs> yeah, he did? Really? You think he put it in there? I'm he sure said, he insisted he, that he be credited in the credits. You think he said, write this line saying that you all thank me? Isn't that typically how that's done? Maybe I'm being too I cynical. Would, I would be very, again... I would love to see the tweets from people that worked on the on the film, like you know, whatever the editor, being like, "I got an email from Avi Arad that says, <laughs> uh, thank myself from you.'" <laughs> uh, uh, that would that would be hilarious. Regardless, um, again, I I think that there are a lot of people at fault for <laughs> all for a good and for a, a bad movie. It's not just Avi Arad, or it's not just Sam Raimi. I think it's everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the I. I you know, like like I said, I let's see Josh Trank talking about uh, Fantastic Four and how he had been like Josh Trank. I w was pretty. I don't, did you ever see Fantastic Four, the one that bombed recently? No. Like, in the last few years, it's not very good, um, obviously. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, this is one of the worst movies ever made," et cetera, et cetera. Jesus. Oh, maybe I should watch yeah. that. I do like bad movies. It's, it's really boring, Lawrence. It's not. It's not even bad for bad sake. It's just. It's just like boring. It's like slow. Uh, yeah, it's just boring. Uh, okay. And uh, and Josh Trank was sort of the same way. Like people were asking him about it, and he was just sort of like, kind of like deep sigh and tweeting about, <laughs> you know, like he's like, yeah, I wish it were better. And I thought that was kind of cool of him to not be like throwing everybody else under the bus. Yeah. To well, be like, what well, the fucking producer's fault? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> there's this there's this tendency, and and I get it, but there's this tendency when something comes out less than ideal to like believe that there was a good version that would have existed but for all these other problems and I, right. I feel like it was it was most strongly felt with justice league which i have to admit i got a little crow i actually really did like Zack snyder's justice league but uh, i thought uh, it, was, it, was, it was certainly better than the original justice league yeah it was it was a lot better um yeah. but that's also just i also just can't stand joss whedon and i never have uh so but it when something comes out less than ideal, it's never that like everyone tried their best and it just didn't work out. It's that there's a very 
simple and easy narrative that points to one right. or two villains that is the reason everything went wrong. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a... Yeah. Yeah, it's just a human thing people like to do. Yeah, so, like, that's... You know, so, like, when... I... I, it's really it's just interesting that that people are apologizing for that regardless um uh I, to me these these mcu movies are master classes in producing and film like this is this is how you do what you do this is how you continue a billion dollar franchise um and i love watching people at the height of their skill level making the best shit they can um and like the only i just recently i don't think you saw it lawrence but did you, did you see eternals no um, all the buzz about it, it indicated that it wasn't a, like I'll watch it, it at some point when I'm like high as shit and it's late at night and there's nothing else to Eternals watch. Is, it's not good. It's not good. Um, but it's also not terrible. See, I, I enjoyed Eternals, but I but the first half of that movie is fucking boring. And uh, and to me, that was the first time I watched a movie that that was in the MC that was kind of like, ah, oh, damn. Like, well, that and, and Thor too. <laughs> um, that, I, that both movies, I was kind of these are kind of boring. Like they were, they weren't really, they weren't really risking anything. Um, and uh, it was a tough. Eternals is a tough movie to make, and also it's directed by an, an amazing director, Chloe Zhao. So, um, you know, it's watching like No Way Home, uh, watching Shang Chi, watching these films that clearly there are so many people that really, really care about what they're making. It's just so much fun. Like. Man, I, I fucking love, I just love, I just love seeing people be the best they could possibly be, and that's, I, that's what I think that these are. Hmm. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if you feel that way about the MC, but I do. So. Um, on a technical level, uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, I guess yeah. I guess what what leaves me underwhelmed about the MCU is that it's people putting together the best product they can, but it's a product. I don't think that any of the movies that any of the people made expressed something that was like near and dear to them. Unless maybe they got somebody on the project that was just a genuine fan of, of the product or the character or whatever. But even then, it's still it's still a product that comes out of being a fan of another product, which is a superhero. So I don't I don't get a lot of genuine human expression out of those movies. But you know, you don't really go to them for that. You go to them for like very very crowd pleasing uh, sentiments and big muscle fights. That's really interesting that you said that because I I do I get that feeling that what you're describing I I, I get that feeling of that people really care and about what they're making and they care how these scenes play out and I they care about the characters I don't know it's a, it, that's interesting that you said I I uh, I love superhero films I always have I'm sure I always will and these to me just feel like they are uh, they are made with this really positive lens around what a hero should be um and they're not trying to be you know uh they're not trying to be dark and gritty they're not trying to there's not usually a gray area there usually is but like you said lawrence they kind of wrap it up within the film yeah if there's a gray area they really try and just wrap it up and i like that um uh i think that's nice because there's a lot of content out there that isn't like that uh that is trying to be very uh, pessimistic and trying to be and trying to really factor in reality. I'm not there to see reality. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm there to see the best of people. Um, and so that's why I kind of like these films. But uh, but also, yeah, like the special effects are just second to none. Um, 
the uh, there's uh, you always see the huge block of visual effects artists in the yeah. credits of these films, and I'm just like I bow down to you people because they are putting in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours on tiny little visual effects that we probably never even notice, but it makes up a, a the larger picture, and there's a reason that we you know love the mirror dimension or there's a reason that we love. Uh, the way Spider-Man moves and stuff like that. It's because these people are just, they're, they care about that shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, so. in that regard, yeah, the, the action, the action in, uh, in No Way Home was really, really good. One well, of the issues great. I have with a lot of Spider-Man movies is he doesn't really fight like Spider-Man some of the time. But in yeah. No Way Home, especially when he was encountering Oc Doc Ock, he was like webbing to all sorts of stuff and flipping. And that was one of the things that made the action sequences in Spider-Man, the Raimi Spider-Man 2 so good. Is, yeah, um, yeah. In one, he would like flip around sometimes, and then they'd go into close shots of two people standing on their feet, punching at each other. And it was just like, all right, all right, okay. But in uh, in two, when he was fighting Ock on the train, like, Ock would pull him and he would web to something to keep himself anchored. Like, there was a lot of good, good secondary action and a lot of really, a lot of usage of Spider-Man's specific abilities. And there was a lot of that in, in No Way Home as well. Which incidentally, I thought the I thought the train like passing under when the car was dangling was a really a re fun little reference. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It also just filled out the scene, but I was like, oh, they're referencing Spider-Man too because he's fighting Doctor Octopus. I thought that was fun. <laughs> there was a fair amount of that. But... Yeah, and there was another uh... night fight. It's always got to be night fights with uh, like in the woods with Electro. Yeah. But that was well, that was and also right. well, the fight at the end of the movies during the night as well. That's true. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's I, that must be to cover, to cover like what you know whatever CG they can get around. But I mean, to, I don't. I mean, yeah, these movies have budgets, but also eh, if they need an extra ten million, I think they're they probably got it. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> somebody's if, if Kevin Feige is like, hey, we need an extra ten million for special effects of Spider-Man No Way Home, they're gonna be like, okay, <laughs> you know, like they're not gonna be like, no, can't have that money because yeah. we know everyone knows he's gonna make a billion dollars. So. Um, so they've got all the resources at their at their disposal. Uh, so it's great. It's great. It's fun to watch because these are these are masters at work, um, putting out uh, masterclasses in in uh, you know big budget pop pop culture films. Uh, and uh, you know I don't think that anybody goes to these because they think they're going to be the next fucking Dune or what. And, you know, is, <laughs> well, even Dune was basically a pop culture movie. It was, you're right. There wasn't I mean, a whole yeah. lot that was really challenging in there. I mean, there was like, there was the one tiny line when Paul was getting a shitload of visions about how there would be entire, oh, I'm sorry, spoilers, um, how there'd be wars waged in his name, which is kind of neat, kind of a neat idea. The fact that you can be undergoing your weird hero journey, but other people will use it for whatever purposes they want, and you, you won't even be a factor in it at that point. Oh, oh, yeah. There was some allusion to like greater meaning in that movie, but mostly the first movie was just... Go go find you an exotic, an exotic desert broad. Um, right, right, but with a, you know beautiful cinematography yeah, and yeah. and like sort of with the uh, the same indie indie lens <laughs> that uh, like Blade Runner twenty forty nine and stuff. By the way, which I love landscape so I'm shots. Saying, yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying that I don't love it. It's just more. It, it's just it's just a different film. Um, you get you get different feelings from it. It's ma it's made to look like art, whereas this feels more like uh, like you said a product. Um, I don't. And that I said, I don't even think that they're. To me, they don't feel that different. It is it is just the pacing and the the visual of it. But man, spiritually, 
I don't, I put Dune right next to No Way Home, really. Um, really? Wow. Because it just, like, I left the movie being like, okay, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. But there's not really a whole lot to think about. It didn't really give me, like, any new perspectives on life. Which I guess that's a lot to think, it's a lot to ask of a movie. But. Hey, so, hey, uh, it is, you're right, Lawrence. Because <laughs> I, because I mean, like, the, well, no, it totally. Is. The more that the more that I watch movies, the more I'm surprised if I ever if I walk out thinking about my you know my morals or or uh, thinking about my convictions. Um, and I think that that's actually pretty rare. I think you don't. I don't think you get films like that very often. Um, so yeah, so that's why I think it is a lot to ask of a movie. Uh, you know, there aren't many movies that I'm like that really resonate with me and will stick with me for years and years and years. Um, I don't think that's, that No Way Home is like that for me. I, I, I really I really did enjoy it, and I, I had absolutely emotional um, responses to seeing Toby, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland talk about grief. Hmm. Uh, that was, that to me, and I've done a lot of therapy over the years, and that to me was such a therapeutic scene. And I'm not saying it was therapy for the viewer, it was therapy for those characters. And it was interesting just to watch them all acknowledge each other's grief and uh, acknowledge each other's um, loss, but also not step on each other and be like, because Tom Holland was like, I want to go fucking kill Green Goblin. And none of them, they didn't, they weren't like, they didn't step in and go, whoa, 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 that's bad. You shouldn't do that. They instead listened to him, heard him out, um, and knew how he was feeling. And it was, it was, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, yeah, this is what it would be like if you were empathetic to yourself. Hmm. And um, and I was like, well, this is a really good lesson for other people to be empathetic with your friends or your family. Um, if they were standing around saying these things and you could all sort of have you had a similar experience, but it wasn't you. Would you be empathetic to them? Um, yeah, and I was like, man, this is really great. This is a great scene. So I, I, that was another thing that I took from that scene was that it felt like therapy. It felt like sitting down and talking to uh, a therapist, which in reality sometimes is talking to yourself. It's voicing voicing the things that you uh, are scared of, uh, voicing your anger, voicing your you know your wants and needs. And that was cool. I thought that was written really well. And and also, oh, by the way, acted perfectly by all three. Um, so that was that was great. I love I love that. I love it twice. I saw it twice. So. Huh. Yeah, you're you're absolutely yeah. right. And I, and I think kind of what you were saying about how the movie was sort of making a much more explicit point and how it dealt with uh, villains. I think having having heroes, you know, express grief and loss and empathetically listen to each other was a was another like sort of sign of the times. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in the past, heroic heroic men they may have felt lost, but they they dealt with it stoically, and it was always like the real heroes are the ones that can still go kill kill the bad guy, even though they're hurt, right. or they use that right. grief to fuel their their victory, basically. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. the The thing that that keeps sticking in my mind, though, is that the movie ultimately said Peter Parker's not allowed that, though. He's not allowed to talk to anybody about it. He's, he's the only person he can actually confide in is a mirror dimension of himself. And he never gets that again. They've all gone back home. And now he's left right. with his shitty apartment. And that's it. You're he's right. just got those four walls to kinda to kinda keep him safe. I mean in the like uh I did I did like that the movie also referenced that 
Spider-Men often have a place that they have to go to sort of process oh, yeah, things yeah. or talk because they don't have people. So, you know, right. Spider-Man would talk to a gargoyle to get his feelings out. And that's not the most yep. healthy way to deal with it, but... Uh, true. Yeah, that, that was... Right. Those scenes were, were really good. Um, yeah. Probably my no, favorite I, in the movie, actually. Me, me too. It was, uh, it was funny, too. I was So Autumn's not super attached to Spider-Man in any way, shape, or form. She's also not really... I don't think she's seen a few... She's, she's seen the Tobey Maguire ones, but not the Andrew Garfield ones. And uh, just as they are all going to meet Tom Holland as he's on top of the building, upset about Aunt May, Autumn left <laughs> to go to the bathroom. Oh, no. And I was like, I was like, ah! And, and I was trying to stop her and I couldn't because I was like, yeah, she probably's got to go to the bathroom. I don't want to stop her. So she went to the bathroom. She comes back <laughs> and the scene's over. Mm-hmm. And, and then later on, she was like, hey, why? And I was like, oh, no. I was like, you missed, you missed literally the crux of the entire film. Like I was like, that is the, that's what the entire film centers around is that scene where they're all, they all talk about what they've lost and why they fight. <laughs> um, so it was funny. I just thought that was a funny thing. Uh, I still enjoyed it, but she wasn't like, you know, super attached to it. Like you or I was. Um, so, cause I, I like hearing people's takes on, uh, Marvel movies when they don't have attachments to the characters, when they're just going for a ride. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she was like, oh, it's cool. It's cool. So, um, somebody else asked, uh, this, what about, what about the scene where Andrew Garfield catches MJ? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that was interesting, I guess. Um, cause he did kind of have the chance to, to go back and sort of get that weird amount of closure. Uh, I, I don't know. They yeah, put the was, shot of they put the shot of MJ falling in the in the trailer, and I was like, ah, yeah, trailer, yeah. doing this yeah, again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, and it's I. They've got an excuse because it's a different universe, so like, maybe that's why MJ falls off because clearly MJ is always in danger here in in whatever universe you're in. Uh, but again, Andrew Garfield really makes that uh, he makes that scene for me at least, where. You know, he catches her and he's and he's sitting there already crying. <laughs> yeah. When he lets go of MJ. I guess the there was a really interesting thing that they alluded to and then sort of paid off, where they they basically asked like, Are "You sure MJ's into you, or does she like Spider-Man?" Um, and I thought they were going down a different road because yeah, Mary Jane seemed totally into like all the danger and Spider-Man shit, but then they just kind of. But as far as I could tell, sort of just walked away from it. I mean, she had her like couple of lines when they were in the wizard dungeon, um, basically oh, saying yeah. she was bought in. And I thought, like, okay, now now our our t- like Tom Holland is going to be worried, right? That she's not actually into you. She just likes the adventure and the danger. But they just kind of didn't really follow that up. Yeah, yeah, I guess they didn't. I didn't. Uh, I kind of like I know what you're saying. I caught it. I just didn't really even think any more of it. I was like, oh, it's, I don't, I don't think they needed to follow up with it, but yeah, I can, I know what you're saying. It was, it was one of the things that I was like, oh, this, this might be a really interesting, that's like an interesting, interesting problem to try to, try to address. But hmm. No, yeah, the movie, the I, I, was already I, pretty crowded, so it didn't need it, but. But yeah, but, but you're not wrong. Um, yeah, but that's, I mean, you know, uh, I, people were asking about that scene. That seems great. I, it seems like everybody really liked it. Uh, just that we all could feel like Andrew Garfield had redeemed himself, basically. And that's actually something that we were talking about earlier. Andrew Garfield was, ter- was terrific. He 
absolutely, I think, outshined uh, both Tom and Toby mm -hmm. in, the, in the scenes that he was in. But I loved how <laughs> even, even that part of the movie I thought was therapy for Andrew Garfield because, because he kept talking about how he was like, because you know, like, all right, well, uh, I'll be uh, Peter one, I'll be Peter two, and Andrew Garfield was like, all right, I guess I'll be Peter three, yeah. because he knew that even in real life he was the least liked Spider-Man, and it's great to have those those scenes where he acts that out with those guys, and and then they each encourage each other, you know, like they're like, no, dude, you're great, man, like, yeah, like that, you, you did such a good job, like they were all encouraging each other. I lo I love that. Um, and to me, that felt almost like the actors were encouraging each other, hmm. being like, "Hey, Andrew, you did a great job, man. Don't don't worry about what people said about you." <laughs> yeah. Um, when he, when I love that. Toby tried to make him say he was amazing. I was like, "Ah, that's fun. <laughs> that's clever." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. Um, so I liked that a lot too, just because uh, it was it was clear that the, you know the writers and the producers and director were all very in on on that wasn't even a joke anymore because people had shit on Andrew Garfield for being in those Spider-Man films, you know, like, being like, oh, these movies aren't very good, et cetera, et cetera. So um, he never really maybe got his fair shake. And uh, I thought that was, that helped. So yeah, giving yeah. him a little more screen time too did, I think did wonders to give his character or, or give the loss of Gwen uh, Stacy a little more depth because in the movie, the editing makes it seem like he gets over it pretty quick. Like there's one shot of him at her grave and then like the seasons change and then he fights Rhino or doesn't fight <laughs> yeah. Rhino and then the movie yeah, ends. Yeah. So the movie ends, yeah. I was like, gosh, she got over that pretty fast. Um, I mean, I, I kind of liked an amazing too, how it sort of had this feeling of like, well, life goes on even if, even if you lose somebody and you just have to figure out how to keep going. That was mm -hmm. my takeaway, even though the movie was overstuffed and, and kind of like the pacing was terrible. But to have him come back and you can, he has a little more screen time to actually express the grief that he was feeling. Right. Helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's one thing that I, again, I'll, you know, like I'm raving about MCU, but the MCU, I feel like gets it. They get that a little more than, than other superhero films have. They understand that these characters, when sh when huge shit is happening to them, they have to process it a little bit. Mm. Um, and uh, they may not give them enough time, but at least they give them something. Yeah. Versus like versus like what you said, where it's like he goes to a funeral and then six they're like six months later and then he fights the rhino. <laughs> yeah. You know, Spider Man's like, back. Yeah. Yay. So at least these movies are trying to give you a representation of of a human processing something that is bad. Well, um, it's funny you, you yeah. brought up the uh, the scene with Superman and Zod in Man of Steel because there's no sh no shot, there's no scene of him dealing with that or talking about it with Lois or anything. True, right? He just kills Zod, right. and then the movie just kind of goes on. Um, which yeah. I mean, that should have been the grand test of his philosophy. It should have been like I, I I don't read a lot of Superman, but in the comics, he was like crazy depressed for a long time, right? After he killed Zod because he had to violate his like one rule. Uh, because you didn't have a choice. And it tees up a lot of really interesting moralistic discussions, but the movie, you know, didn't do that. Didn't. Because I don't know if Zack Snyder has the capacity to care about that. <laughs> he, d he just seems to like big muscle men punching each other and then cool God-related imagery, which, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I guess they, somebody said they touched on it in Batman v Superman. Well, there's a reason why I don't care. They touched? 
Um, yeah, they, yeah. It's because you know we we want to turn this into the Zack Snyder podcast. But um, <laughs> what, what I what I will I'll give you a one line review of the Zack Snyder uh, the Snyderverse Justice League. Uh, I can also make a pretty great movie in four and a half hours <laughs> so, <laughs> with a hundred and fifty million dollars. I could do that too. Um, I, it took me three fucking nights to finish it, and I was like, "This is insanity!" Like I was like, "I can't believe they did this," but it is also not bad. Um, so, <laughs> maybe, anyways, uh, maybe we'll get an extended yeah. cut of Amazing Spider-Man Two. Maybe everyone <laughs> having seen this movie now will be like, "Wow, we got to have more of this," you know? That's what they people are saying. They're, they're saying Andrew Garfield's going to get a Spider-Man Three. That's what they're saying, and uh, they don't want that. They want an MCU movie. But um, hey, you know what? Whatever. Go see another Spider-Man movie. I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like I feel like as long as there's money, they'll make it, right? Why not? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, it's uh, this this was. I don't know if this is going to be the highest-grossing Spider-Man film with Tom Holland. It might be. Is it not? It might I thought, be. I guess I assumed because of the headlines and stuff that it already was, but could be wrong. No, I, yeah, yeah. I just, I just don't know offhand. I don't know if I can say that, but, um, but I think that it probably will, will, because uh, I think Far From Home did pretty well. Um, but I don't know how Homecoming. Did. I don't think Homecoming did. I think it did okay. Uh, so I, so I, yeah, I'm sure they'll make another one. And. What do, you, what do you think about Doctor Strange? Were you, did you, do you think that's, that's uh, what is it, Mephisto? Or do you think that's actually just Doctor Strange being stupid? Oh, Evil Strange? In the, yeah. in the like, post-post-credits trailer? Um, or do you mean well, in that, the movie? No, I just mean, itself. just in the movie. Just in the movie. Like, what, what? Because, I mean, like, Doctor Strange, he's so, so, he's so smart. And so why is he kind of being sort of dumb in this? Because mm, there has to be a storyline. I that's, yeah, that's that was that's my take. Is like, it's I don't know. I it, Strange's Strange's presence in the film was just kind of anecdotal, because you needed wizard magic to make the story go. I yeah. It, it didn't land as hard as it should have when Strange was like suddenly really really nice and sentimental to Spider Man at the end. Mm-hmm. Like because he does mm-hmm. like you can call me Tim or I don't know. And he's like, I'm gonna miss you, kid. And I was just like, Are we oh, yeah, yeah. really? Steven, yeah. Are we? Are we really? Like, it, nothing happened though. There was no moment where like Spider-Man proved his worth, I guess, aside from being willing to accept all the sacrifice on himself. Yeah. Also, um, he was. Why? Yeah. Why strange with his ability to see every dimension and all times? Why was he like, Nope, can't save him. Sorry, bud. We gotta yeah. kill him. That's just how it goes. <laughs> I'm a wizard. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I have I, I have watched What If, uh, and I'm still asking. You. I've watched every single Marvel thing you can watch, um, and it, and yes, I've watched them and loved them and enjoyed them and etc. But that doesn't necessarily explain why Doctor Strange is kind of he seems to be a little willy nilly with everything he's doing. You know, he's kind of like just ah, well, fuck it. And, you know, like and then he's like, wait a minute, uh, change it because of MJ, and he's like, ah, okay, yeah, I'll change it. You know, like and I was like, wow. It's not okay. I mean, I so that's why people are like, Oh, he's a variant. I'm like, Okay, well, that's I hope they do explain that later. Um, I don't know that they will. Oh, um, he, was, uh, he was another, a different strange, 
Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen um, What If. I haven't seen Loki. So some of these concepts. I've seen them all. Okay. I've watched it all. Uh, and I really do enjoy them. But again, it just seemed a little off. Uh, no, I'm not talking the Doctor Strange tra 2 trailer. I'm talking about like him actually casting the spell uh, for Peter when Peter's like, hey, I would love it if uh, the world could forget that I was Spider-Man. Um, and I just thought that was like, oh, uh, oh, that's odd. Because if it were Doctor Strange, I'd be like, if I was Doctor Strange, <laughs> I would have been like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Like, you got to go figure this shit out yourself. No, most people in so. chat are saying that Strange's, Strange's ego has always been... His ego, yeah. Is, yeah just, so, uh, you and, know, just using magic to, like, do a favor for a kid, eh, that can that can fall into the realm of, like, I'm a wizard, whatever. Maybe I'll just do this next what? favor. Hey, guys, I'll accept that as an answer. Um, I'm totally fine with that. I just wanted to see uh, if if I was okay with that or if it was just to serve the narrative. I wasn't sure. I still... So here's yeah. here's my question. It's like you have your your cheeky Avi Arad post credits Venom uh, tie-in, right? Oh yeah. But like, all right. So if the rules were that anyone who knows Peter Parker's Spider-Man is coming to that reality, then he wouldn't be there because he wasn't in that that reality. Spider-Man's not there, right? Um. Wait. Say that again. <laughs> so the it was only the villains that knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man that were drawn to that dimension. Right? Right. Yes. But Venom, Tom Hardy Venom, doesn't know that. Hasn't even run into Spider-Man yet. So why would he well, have been drawn to that dimension? Okay, so I will then go back to the end of Venom 2. Oh, I haven't seen Venom 2 yet. Yeah, because I saw okay, Venom is that, 2. Okay, is that it? The end of Venom 2, it, it, he, you kind of, he just sort of gets teleported. He just gets teleported into the universe. He doesn't really explain why. Yeah, and then he sees Spider-Man on TV or something, right? Is that why he sees Spider-Man on TV and they get teleported? I truly do. I only saw Ven I saw Venom 2 obviously only once. Oh, wait, and obviously go. only Symbiote hive mind spans across universes. So there if we one go. Venom knows, then they all know. So if the Venom, if Topher Grace's Venom <laughs> knew then that means oh that is it okay that, weird that, uh, i mean like this is stuff by the way that they've not explained so i on purpose avoid avoid this stuff because i like to i like to have the movies tell me um so it's interesting to hear you guys say this stuff because i don't know this but yeah so, somebody also brought up that electro didn't know uh which also, also is true i believe i don't think in amazing uh, 2 that electro ever or that oh that i found out his, his secret identity yeah i don't think he ever took his mask off because, I mean, yeah. even in the movie, there's dialogue that where he's like, oh, I thought you were black. Like, if he knew who he was, he would know that. So it doesn't make sense. Anyway. Right. Okay, well, that's... Uh, thank you for saying that to us, chat. I, I didn't... I don't know those finer points of the comic lore on purpose, because I don't want to know. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I think that he just left a piece of his suit, which will then obviously turn into another Venom. I don't think it's going to be Tom Hardy's Venom in... Uh, in no, the there's, MCU. there's a different Eddie Brock in. Wait. Yeah. Yeah, because there's they haven't introduced MCU Eddie Brock, have they? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, just Flash uh, Thompson, who I think was also Venom in a particular Spider-Man line, but maybe maybe Venom is, will get on Flash Thompson in this universe. This was a really, really, really quick throwaway, but if you didn't watch Ted Lasso, you wouldn't know. The guy, the bartender in that post-credit scene with Tom Hardy, uh, was in Ted Lasso. 
he's a he's one of the soccer players with Ted Lasso. And I was like, is is he gonna get the venom? Is he gonna get the venom suit? So I was like, oh, because I mean he's a he's an established actor at this point, so maybe he'll get the venom suit. I wasn't sure. I don't know. Um, yeah, people are saying Flash Thompson will probably get the probably get the Venom suit, which is fine. That's fine. He's, um, that's a, he's a fun actor. He is a fun actor, yeah. Uh, but I don't know if we're gonna get bad Venom or good Venom or what. We'll I mean, Venom's an anti-hero. He's both, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I know you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, the reason I scoffed is because you know who else is a hero? So, so terrible. Mobius, Michael Mobius. You mean Morbius? Morbius, yes. <laughs> That's what I meant. Thank God it's delayed. Uh, hopefully they delay it forever. What do you mean? It's gonna be bad. No, they only delay good it's movies, Bruce. It's gonna be bad. Um, the uh, or I'm sorry, no. It will only be bad if you didn't like Venom one or two. This is what I was saying, because Sony Sony has has found the formula for their Sony Marvel films, and they're trash. But <laughs> if you like them, if you like Venom 1 or Venom 2, or both, then you will like Morbius, because they're, they're going to be the same thing. Um, so if you like those films, you're going to like Morbius. Is um, Mahershala Lee's Blade, is that is that MCU or is that Sony? No, that's MCU. Oh. The, only, the only Sony Marvel films we're getting... Uh, apart from obviously the Spider-Man films, these are uh, joint ventures between the two. But again, Feige has uh, clearly has creative control. Um, are uh, Venom One, Venom Two, and Morbius, and they're trying to make their own little their own little universe because they're they are like purely capitalizing on the MCU. Yeah. Uh, Which now that you've mentioned an Amazing Spider-Man Three, God. How delicious would that be if, like, because of a Marvel movie, suddenly their Spider-Man property got more life back in it? I mean, that's that's what, that's what happened. Yeah, I didn't like, even think about that. Uh, yeah, that's exactly that, what that's, it is. Yeah, that's how they were able to make those Venom films. It's because they got Tom Holland Spider-Man in Civil War. <laughs> so, yeah. and they made him cool again. So everyone was like, oh, I want, I want more of that. And then they made Venom, and it's terrible. But, um, <laughs> but, uh... But again, again, as I, 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 more power to you if you like those films, um, because they're they're totally dumb. They're like they're supposed to be dumb fun. They're, they're not meant to be part of a larger universe. Yet, so. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I don't know what else. Any anything else? You, any other thoughts you have on uh, No Way Home? And you don't have to. I was just wondering. We can what? move on to the Matrix if you want to talk about the Matrix. Well, I always want to talk about the Matrix, but I just want to put I want to put some points on the board for Jamie Foxx. I think he's a, an incredible oh, actor. He was great. All of he his was lines great. were incredible. I don't know. I saw No Way Home and I was like, damn, Jamie Foxx is so fucking good. And then I went home and watched he's Collateral. Because yeah, he's he's been great in everything I've seen him in. No, oh, Jamie yeah. Foxx. I mean, like there were some memes. Oh. The something of a scientist myself. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, these no like. The villains in this film are just so fucking good. Like, uh, Alfred Molina is obviously an, a legendary actor. Willem Dafoe, a legendary actor. Jamie Foxx, legendary. Like, these guys are absolutely legendary actors, and the MCU allowed them to shine. Um, it was just it was just so great. But you're right. Jamie Foxx made me laugh every line. Like, everything he said was was a laugh for me. Well, he kind of uh, ended up being the voice of the audience sometimes, being 
of calling mm -hmm. attention mm -hmm. at just how ridiculous everything was. <laughs> One of my favorite lines was, uh, let me guess, a lizard. <laughs> when he's talking about uh, how the lizard wanted to turn everybody else into a lizard. Oh, yeah. Man, <laughs> no, uh, oh, that's so funny. That was so fucking funny. Reminds me of the, like, the panel. I thought, so I thought that might have been a, speaking of how meme-tastic some of those conversations were, I just always think of that panel with Spider-Man and Sauron, who wants to turn the entire world into dinosaurs. Um, it's just Spider-Man trying to be like, you can cure cancer. And Sauron's like, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn everyone into dinosaurs. I don't know. It's just a, a super good comic panel. <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> And they actually, I mean, like, they, they, they act that out in this movie. They basically, that's exactly what they say. Where they're like, you know, like, he's a lizard and he wants to turn other people into lizards. And I remember Autumn looked over at me during the movie and was like, is that true? And I was like, yes, that's exactly the plot of yep. Amazing Spider-Man 1. That's always and been it's just as stupid as it sounds. Bruce, no one would ever lose arms again. We'd all grow our arms back. <laughs> We'd be hyper-intelligent lizard people. You'll like it once yeah, you're on the other side. It's fine. We'd all be aggressive and look like lizards. Yeah, the aggression's kind of the downer there. <laughs> I don't know why that happened. Because <laughs> li lizards just like crawling on warm rocks and hanging out. I don't know why Kurt Connors has to go ballistic. Oh my gosh. What a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> um, I had no right being as okay as it was, because it was an okay movie. Oh, uh, amazing one? Amazing One was an okay film. Like, I walked out of it not offended. I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. It was just like, it was so yeah. forgettable. I don't remember most of it. It was. Yeah, it was. It was super forgettable. And then Amazing Spider-Man 2, I, I was so, I felt so betrayed by that I remember walking out of that movie. I, I went and saw it with James, actually. I went, uh, James and I walked out and I was like, I looked over to James. I was, like, I was like, James, I'm never paying for another Spider-Man movie in this universe ever. I was like, oh. never again, because I hated it. Man, um, really? Is that bad? I was. Just, I just remember being so upset, uh, and I couldn't even tell you why not. I have to go back and watch it. Yeah, I don't. Um, people had such but, negative reactions to that film, and I don't quite get why. I mean, I I get I get a lot of the things that people found distasteful, um, or just were like studio insertion problems of trying to force the, like they were trying to do their cinematic universe thing. They were trying to lead up to Sinister Six. And that right. was a waste of screen time for sure. But like, it's nothing worse that's been in any other superhero movie by my reckoning. I don't know. People had very, very strong reactions to it. I I don't remember why. I uh, I just I just felt like everything was sort of squandered. There was there was a, a stupid amount of screen time dedicated to Peter's parents and stuff, which also happens in the comics. But yeah, didn't need any of that either. Like them being Shield agents and shit. Don't need it. Stupid. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 those movies if, before MCU were trying so hard to establish the MCU, or I guess yeah, be were, part yeah, of it. Yeah, they were trying to skip, skip to it. Yeah. Good music though. I mean, Junkie XL soundtrack in, in Amazing Spider-Man 2 is phenomenal, especially when is he's it? fighting Electro at the end. Oh my god. That that might be one of the better superhero fights just in general. Ugh, just in general. Okay. Cool. I, I don't remember. I don't remember the music. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Uh, uh, Spider-Man and Electro are fighting at like a power station and Electro zapping all these like transformers and they light up like graphic equalizers and make these like huge synth hits every time he hits one. It's it's a really cool sequence. Um, oh, I do remember that. I do. I don't remember. I wasn't sure if I liked that or not. I do remember <laughs> that though. Yeah. Um, but I could see why you like it. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I, I, 
I, I'm, just, I'm sure I was just soured on that film <laughs> from the very beginning. Jamie Foxx also looks terrible in that movie. <laughs> yeah, looks, like blue. They made him look garb like garbage. Yeah, they. I, I liked what they did with uh, Electro in uh, No Way Home, where he like he has his stupid little lightning face, but it's just little sparkles that come off of him whenever he's casting lightning bolts and stuff. Yeah, that was a neat yeah. touch. Also, I, I feel that? like him plus an arc reactor should probably have been way, way more powerful, but he was just kind of throwing the same bolts he did mm -hmm. in his movie. Shouldn't yeah. and Like, he had a nuclear power station on his chest, right? I feel like he should have been just banana strong, but that would probably have made concluding the film difficult. <laughs> um, they did give a yeah canonical reason why Fox uh, didn't look like garbage. And like he said it, he was like, I think he says he was like able to manipulate his appearance in No Way Home, which I thought was fun. I was like, oh, at least they tried to explain why he doesn't look like shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's it's just it's just funny to see what writers, uh, producers, and and directors will do when given a chance to correct somebody else's um, work or fix. I'm so, I don't want I don't want to say correct or fix, just a different interpretation. Cure, Bruce. That's what we do here. We cure bad yeah. things by yeah, cure. Uh, coming up with a better chip and uh, a beepy <laughs> device that you clamp onto your chest that sucks all your electric power away or something. That's right. It, it takes a really long time to suck it all away, though, for some reason. We're not sure why. Yeah. Dramatic tension. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that was, I mean, like, it, it, this movie does that. No Way Home does that. It does fix it. It makes me care about characters that I didn't like. Like, I hated Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. And it made me care about Tobey Maguire. Really? Uh, yeah. Huh. And like, like I said earlier in the like in the in our talk, I, I just didn't, I don't, I don't fucking care about Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. And then when he when he arrives, I'm like, oh my gosh, there he is! And everything he says is like super appropriate. And he's dealing with like how how he's kind of dating MJ, and he's older. And like I was like, boy, I really like all this. Huh. But I, I thought, hate it. I fucking hate those movies. So like, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because I I thought he was probably the weakest part of it. His his performance he was. was really like he flat. All the dialogue yeah, he, he was. was given was super non-specific because he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm dating someone, but it's complicated. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what you say when you can't say anything. When it's like you apparently, can't pin anything down. So it, apparently, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. yeah, apparently, I was gonna say apparently he was the one that asked for that. He was huh. the one that asked for that. That uh, I'm gonna go ahead and time out GI Jones for saying that was a trash take so you, you go ahead and take a little take a little time there bud take a little time not not for the not it's fine you can disagree but you go easy yeah, you go you, easy you got to share uh, a take that's twice as good then to make up for it <laughs> i don't know what that's gonna be for gi jones um, <laughs> well we won't know for a while will we yeah yeah that's true that's um but uh but yeah i mean like i i think you're right about Tommy McGuire being super like really vague, but that was on purpose. He that's what he wanted. Um, why he'd he'd ask the writers to be vague about how Spider-Man played out. I don't know. I'm not sure. Weird. But, okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't. I'm not sure if Andrew Garfield had as much of a say in his character. Probably not. Because uh, he seemed more of an MCU style character than than Toby McGuire. But I think you're right. I think Toby was sort of the weakest link of this whole thing. Maybe because Toby is over this whole thing. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe he was like, I'll do this, but I'm kind of over it. So. Yeah, he didn't. I don't know. I, I don't mind like, characters that have been off screen for so long coming back and being that sort of 
because it was sort of the, his performance in the writing kind of let you let you think whatever you wanted about his mm-hmm. character and what was going on in his head. So I kind of I kind of liked that, given that it's been so long and people have their own impressions of that character and his his portrayal of it. But I don't know. To me, huh, to, to me, it just seemed like they were intentionally leaving his character mysterious so that you would assume a lot more meaning and and uh, emotional resonance behind what he said than there actually was. Like yeah, I said, the, the one line that really hit was the one where he said he was trying to do better. Um, that's the only one that I really took anything away from. And him like yeah. him trying to coach Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man back into positivity. I thought that was a really good exchange. Yeah, no, I did too. Um, and I thought they killed him at the end of the film when he got stabbed. <laughs> yeah, and then it was immediately like, no, nope, I'm fine. I know, which I, well, I wasn't sure if that was like some inside joke I was supposed to know about or if it was just the writers being like, uh, nah, we're not going to kill him. <laughs> you know, like I, I wasn't sure. I don't know. I think it was just that you just had to have like a, you had to have a beat where again, oh Jesus, sorry. <laughs> I'm dicking around with an emulator and it was suddenly crazy loud. Oh, um, uh, I think you, yeah, you just had to have a, like you had to have another beat after May got stabbed where another person gets stabbed in the back by a villain. Like it, it was that repeated refrain where like you had to, the villain or the hero has to be mutilated multiple times. That's their calling. That's what they do. So I was like, gosh, we're really driving this home, aren't we? Man. I mean, and, and to be fair again to the MCU, that's what would have happened. He was standing there dialoguing with uh, Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. He would have gotten stabbed. Like, I'm actually surprised he didn't stab him earlier. <laughs> so uh, so it was kind of an interesting thing because I was like, oh yeah, that's right, Green Goblin. Because like in most movies, they would have sat there, uh, dialogued at each other, worked something out, and then turned around and punched the Green Goblin. <laughs> but they didn't do that because he got stabbed in the back. So I was like, oh, well, you know, that's valid. Um, but yeah, I thought they killed him. And then I was like, oh, wow, they killed him. That's cool. And then he was like, nah, I'm fine. <laughs> so, uh, so whatever. Yeah, um, that was, that was a little weird. But I mean, it was like, to me, that was just a writing beat. We have to have another uh, yeah. tragic moment where you think somebody's died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what it's, that's what it seemed like to me. I thought it was a, it was a funny line when Toby Maguire was like, you know, like, well, I've been stabbed. A, <laughs> I've been stabbed a bunch. <laughs> uh, you know, it was well timed, well delivered, so maybe not. But, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I I enjoyed the film a lot. I thought it was really fun, and I, I'm happy. I'm happy it's making a lot of mo- money, and I think it's I. I would very much recommend it. Yeah, me too. It's uh, it's one of those movies that will probably like, regardless of people's investment in the character, will probably have a fun time watching. Um. Yeah, for me, I you know, I can't turn my brain off. So I just I find some of the philosophical underpinnings a little troubling uh, when it comes to how the movie tees up that heroes and good people are expected to behave. But, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like you said, man, sometimes that's life. If you want to if you want to do good yeah. things, you really have to accept that sometimes you're going to get stabbed in the back for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's I think that happens a lot to a lot of heroes in these movies is they going with the best of intentions and then they get fucked um and then they have to go and and then it's like and honestly it's like they have to uh they are given another chance to decide and that's what happens in dark knight rises 
um, Batman gets a shit beat out of him. And it's because he didn't, you know, decisively do what he should have done, right? But that's what you're doing. You're giving the bad guy a chance because you're a good guy. Otherwise, you just go in there and shoot him in the head and it'd be over with. But that's not what heroes do. So that's kind of, that's the, that's what this feels like to me is it's like, well, he gets another chance, even though he fucked everything up. Uh, and that's kind of what happens in a lot of heroes. Is that uh, the, man, that was the takeaway from Dark Knight Rises? Well, that, that's just, well, no, no, I was just, I, that was just an, 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 like a, I was likening it to that oh. because that's what happens. Like he, he, he's like, he's arrogant and Dark Knight Rises is totally different. He's arrogant and he goes in and he, you know, like he's like, oh, I can easily take this and then gets his ass kicked. Um, but, he but it was because die. he was afraid of dying, right? That's what he had to learn by crawling out of the pit. He had to abandon his attachment to his own life so that he could fight suicidally. That's kind of what. Well, sorry, this is a oh. huge aside, but that was that was what I thought. Dark Knight Rises was was getting at. Oh no, no, no! At, I, at the end of the movie, no. They, they, the the guy in the pit specifically says the fear is what makes him survive. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he had to want to live. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. No, the, <laughs> forgot about that. I got it backwards. <laughs> yeah, no, the, no, he says he says like no, that's that's the reason why he made the jump. It's cuz he was afraid of dying. Gotcha. Um and and that's and then Batman wasn't like he had yeah, he'd give it Batman at the beginning of Dark Knight Rises had just given up entirely. He was just like fuck it. I don't care anymore. Like I'm good at my job, but I don't care. I also don't give a shit if I have to sacrifice myself for Gotham. And that was the wrong, the wrong attitude. To have. Whatever, you know. <laughs> this is a Dark Knight Rises podcast. <laughs> well, I true and truthfully, I don't make it could be talking out of my ass. I haven't seen the movie in years, so. Um, but anyways, yeah, cool. You want to talk about the Matrix? Always, always oh, and let's forever. Do let's do it. Um, let me pull up some Matrix trailers here. Ooh. I also, uh, I had the uh, Spider-Man No Way Home wiki up. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was like, just in case we talk about the plot, but I'm gonna really need the Matrix Res- Matrix Resurre- Resurrections wiki. Because, woof, I watched it once. Have you only seen it once, Lawrence? I've seen it twice. Oh, good, perfect. So you're gonna know more than I am. Um, okay, terrific. Hold on just a second. Uh, I'll just let the what one trailer play. Uh, the official trailer two. Okay. All right, Lawrence. I want to hear what you have to say about the the Matrix Resurrections. Did you like it? First of all, I loved it. I I super oh, super loved it. That's great. Um, what did you love about it? Uh, I love that it had something to say, and and made that made a fair amount of points fairly fairly effectively. Um. I loved that it it didn't I think I had to say this it contained um, an expression from the creator that I yeah. resonated with yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of like that it took a lot of the themes of the show and made them mean something else in context it sort of, it sort of right. redefined what the Matrix means in the context of the Matrix. What do you mean the show? You mean the, you mean the, the movie? movie? Sorry, yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, are you talking about the Animatrix? <laughs> I mean, we can, but that's largely immaterial, I think. Those are just, it's an anthology, right? Side story stuff. 
No, yeah, but but the yeah, but the, you mean the original movie, or I guess maybe the three movies? Yeah, the original trilogy, which kind of you can separate the original and then the next two. But um, what else? I thought it was a very colorful film. Uh, oh, it was. It really was. I yeah. thought. I think. What are the good things about it? There were. I mean, there were some not good things. I think that that most sure. people who watch it can identify pretty quickly. Um, but let me think. Hmm. It it kind of like uh kind of like I was saying, the counterpoint to No Way Home is that it gave me a whole lot to think about, a whole lot to chew on, a whole lot to examine about my own life. Um, hmm. And it and it's kind wow. of resided in my head. There are individual lines in there too that mean a whole lot. Um, there's actually a whole lot of lore and world building that happens very, very, very quickly. Like one yes. or two lines that, yeah. that yeah. you really have to kind of think and parse in, in context of the universe. Um, there's a whole lot that reads a whole lot different when you watch it again and kind of know some of the, some of the like lore gimmicks that are revealed halfway through the movie. Hmm. Um, and I think ultimately, even though I think it didn't necessarily execute the love story perfectly, the idea that that like Neo and Trinity are are like their beings are in love, regardless of how they look or what what body they're in, is pretty their sweet. Souls. Yeah, it's their yes. soul. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and that that has persisted across. Uh, being reborn and re reanimated and resurrected, remade, yeah, yeah. So that's that's nice, I guess. Um, no, I like. I actually really like that a lot. I, I, that was my favorite part of the film. Yeah, the love story part. I, I really I liked that. I thought that was. Uh, I thought it was a really sweet thing that that honestly I thought the first Matrix kind of glossed over. Because if you remember, Trinity brought Neo back because she loved him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and I was always like, wow, what? Hey, that's part of the world? And they they gloss over it very quickly. And then he's back and then he fights and wins. But in this movie, they really explain why that works, which I thought was cool. Oh yeah, they, they gave lore rules to their love and like the energy generating prin principles of it. Yeah, 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 which I liked. I thought, I again, in the, in the first Matrix, they didn't give that, they didn't give it enough. Uh, they didn't give a love story enough when they used it <laughs> to bring back the main hero. Um, but, the, but in this movie they explain, oh, okay, although this is, this is why it works. It's because they're always, like you said, their souls are always in love. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, man, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I'm going to, what, so what did it, what questions did it ask you about your own life that you had to chew on later? I'm curious. Oh, uh, let's see. I think it, I think it asks the audience to examine their relationship with the entertainment they like uh, and why they like it. I think it, I think it, it implores the audience to ask a little more of the the media and the artwork they take in. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's uh, what I appreciated. I think is that it, part of it was a sort of personal message of like here here was my experience making the Matrix and and seeing the world react to it. Um, right. I appreciated that right. quite a bit because I've always been curious about that. There's, there, it's one thing to like, to to take in a work from an artist, that, and it, it's another one to see a work that was so massively influential and like fueled the whole zeitgeist. Like there were idiots walking around with trench coats and stupid glasses for a while after the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. But it's what I've what I've always appreciated, especially about Matrix Two and Three, is that much like Matrix Four, 
they could have just done another movie with more of the thing that most mm -hmm. audiences liked. And they did. Mm -hmm. They they served that in Matrix 2 especially. I mean, there were like crazy action sequences, ridiculous computer animation. Like it had all that stuff. But they also, God bless them, decided to make it a philosophical treatise on like science fiction in general and free will and predetermination. And they wrapped all these things in there um, that to, for most people just made it unnecessarily bloated and, and pretentious. Uh, but I was I was super into it because at the time those were a lot of the things I was wrestling with is uh, my my own free will uh, what what makes a person you know actualized all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. uh, so I was super into it I think similarly now being much older I wonder about my life and what gives it meaning and significance um, mm -hmm. is is my life just moving from one pop culture movie where people in spandex punch each other to the next and that's that's what i have to look forward to right um, so the i think the movie makes a pretty powerful counter argument to that that like there is a rich world of meaning out there you just have to kind of step outside of the predetermined day-to-day -day. yeah uh, okay that's great um i'm i uh i can safely say that i got all of those concepts that's the same that you did from this movie um and i thought it was nice that they try that specifically probably Lana Wachowski tried to um, not answer those questions but ask them at least in the in the film with that you know having people sit around a boardroom talking <laughs> about uh, their work of art and this is gonna sound kind of weird but it, it, it's interesting to, to say, oh yeah, the director was was re was self-reflecting on like how people saw their film. But all I could think about, <laughs> you tell me if you've heard the story. All I could think about was Will Smith talking about how this movie was pitched to him. Have you ever uh, heard that story? No, the original, no. Okay, yeah, so you know how Will Smith was gonna be Neo uh -huh. in The Matrix? Apparently, the Wachowskis went to Will Smith and they pitched the movie to Will Smith uh, thusly. They said, <laughs> this is because this is Will Smith. Will Smith tells it better, obviously, because it was pitched to him. But this is so this is secondhand through Will Smith. And he says, the Wachowskis were like, there's going to be 300 cameras around you as you jump up in the air and do a kung fu move. And the special effects will then sh basically they'll do a, a, a circle around you as you do it. And you're going to be like, and again, this is all off the top of my head. And you're going to be blocking bullets and uh, doing karate moves. And like they were talking about, they were pitching the movie as an action film to Will Smith. Yeah, because they're trying to, I mean, from an actor's perspective, that's probably what right. would sell right. him on the movie. Um, it didn't, obviously. And those were, those were the kinds uh, of roles he was taking at the time, too. Yeah. And so, so to me, I was like, I wonder if, if that's what, if they, if that was the way they viewed their film mm. then, and then once it came out and everybody released and everybody wrote all their essays about it, <laughs> then, oh, then okay. they were like, wait a minute. I did make a movie that was really thought provoking. Mm. I don't know. I'm not sure. Wasn't this based on a comic too, Lawrence or no? Was it? Was I, it or some, if it is, I'm not this, aware. I mean, it's, was it's, it a complete original work of art. I wasn't sure. I mean, it's chock full of like spiritual references to other cyberpunk works. That's for sure. It's based um, on a book. 
Oh, it is based okay. on a book. Yeah, it was, it was something. Right. It was based on something that, because um, I thought it wasn't completely original. That said, by the way, I love the first Matrix. Love it, and was an apologist for the second Matrix. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted so badly to be reloaded, reloaded to be good, uh, that I, you know, got in lengthy arguments with my friends about it. Because <laughs> uh, I was like, "Isn't it cool that the Matrix was already done six times? Like, wow!" And nobody thought it was cool. Um, uh, I was an apologist for that. And so by the third, when the third one came out, I was like, "Ugh, damn it, <laughs> fuck!" I really, really wanted Revolutions to wrap that up, and it did not. But how did you feel about the first? Or I guess, yeah, tell me how you thought felt, felt about the first three. I'm curious to hear those. I mean, the first one is is a extremely yeah it's an extremely formative yeah. but kind of by the numbers hero's journey um the the philosophical implications are are fun but light uh about i mean it is it is it does dip into like plato plato's parable of the cave territory which is fun maybe trying right. to to convince people that their perception is not truth um Ooh. something that god the world could probably stand and hear a little more of these days yeah. uh yeah yeah but yeah, it's for me. It was really two and three that that made me fall in love with the Wachowskis as filmmakers, because uh, they bit off so much more than they needed to. Now, to your point, maybe, maybe the runaway success did give them the pressure to like make the sequels mean more than they did, kind of thing, or mean more than they needed to. But mm -hmm. uh, it worked for me, and I think I think their films since then have have been uh, somewhat in line with that. I don't think their films are ever just like 100% audience pleasing. They always put something from them in there. They uh, do. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So I kind of, that's that's kind of what I take away is that like, I mean, it's like Cloud Atlas is a is an incredible, incredible movie. Probably, <laughs> probably the most watchable one. Um, Cause man, I've tried to make people watch Speed Racer and people don't have it. They, they are not oh, down I, with I, it. I loved Speed Racer when I saw it. I was a big fan of it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah most people. Most people. Most people just get, I guess, visually uh, overwhelmed. Maybe is the word, because that movie's got, got a lot going on. It's it it it, uh, it does. It's it doesn't make sense as a film. It makes sense as like a piece of edited content. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it, it's an it, editing showcase more than yeah. More than a movie. But it's great. But it's great. And and also Cloud Atlas. I had just read the book, so it was perfect. Ooh, wow. I read I, I read the book and then I went and saw the movie and I was like. And I, so I knew immediately what was going on. So a lot of people were like, man, Cloud Atlas is so fucking confusing. I got exactly the right experience for Cloud Atlas. Right on. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, but let's see here. In terms of just my evaluation of the movies, yeah, I was I was really blown away by Matrix 2. Gave me a lot to think about. Had a lot more kind of crowd-pleasing segments in it. 3 is a really fascinating movie, but it's not easy to watch. It's, it is a downer of a movie. Cause like everyone's yeah. dying and and it's even more kind of philosophically crazy. I do appreciate that they teed up a really hard question and then answered it or got close to answering it um, mm -hmm. between like, you know, what's the like, is it free will? Is it determination? What right. happens right. when an unstoppable force meets an immovable, immovable object kind of thing? So yeah. I appreciated the in intent and the execution. Even if I I haven't really watched Revolutions a whole lot, um, because it is it is just a hard watch. Um, it really, it really is. Yeah, and it's and like I, I, man, the CG is probably dated the most in that one. So, 
Well, that all those Agent Smiths and Reloaded look like trash. Oh, yeah, man, they're gummy oh, men man. now. At least the at least the imagination of the choreography kind of sold that sequence more than the CG has held up. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, because I went to watch. I remember really enjoying Reloaded in the theater, and then I went to watch Reloaded like a few years ago, and I was like, oh fuck. Like they all look like uh, the Scorpion King. Yeah, they're all bl they're all blobby Play-Doh boys. <laughs> yeah, they sure are. But man, that music yeah. though, huh? That Juno reactor pounding in your ears. Mm. It was great. It was great. That mm. soundtrack's awesome. Yeah, that soundtrack's awesome. Um, but anyways, back back to the Matrix Resurrections. Yeah, I. Uh, it felt like uh, like you. I what you all. I think what you said is true about Wachowski's basically like trying to ask a bunch of new questions about their property, which I thought was cool. I appreciated that. It wasn't just a rehash. Um, but I also thought it was lighter than Reloaded and Revolution. So I thought it, it felt to me like this was like, we're not going to take it as seriously. Um, did, did you get that sense or no? I did. I did, yeah. There was, it was it was a bit more playful. Because uh, I I get the sense that they 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 did the thing like they they already made Matrix two and three. There's no reason to be so self serious now, especially mm -hmm. because just on the surface level, I think the movie understands that it's kind of ridiculous that there is a Matrix four. So I think the whole movie is kind of approaching itself from that perspective of like, why are we here? Um, so it can be a little more flippant, I think, with its tone. Yeah. Uh, no, the meta aspects for me did not take me out of the story. It sounds like Lawrence liked them. I, I like that kind of stuff. I think it's fun. I do too. Uh, I think some yeah. people thought that like the meta stuff was unrealistic, but it's not. Um, it's really not. Like so I, I know a lot of people reacted pretty strongly to the boardroom scenes and thought it was cringe, but that's how that's how people talk in those boardrooms where they just it sit is. around for for months doing no work. Like that's that's an I that's an idea person room, and they exist and they're real. And if you like, if you ever wonder why people who have some amount of artistic success never make anything, it's because they're just basically doing that all the time. Lawrence uh, speaks the truth here. So if you've not experienced that, we have. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, yeah, they were playing, you know, I guess like uh, exaggerated versions of themselves in that boardroom. But I promise you, I have been in boardrooms like that. Yeah, where, they, where they were, where they're saying, uh, you know, like bullet, time and you're just like oh my gosh <laughs> and all and, and all of the people sitting around the table being like fuck what the fuck are we gonna do this person's just saying a phrase over and over that doesn't mean we can do something um oh, what about the projected so. movies of the first films i mean they they said it in the scene they're talking to you the audience when morpheus is like some nostalgia helps ease the transition they're transitioning you into the actual movie at that point because you're exiting the matrix finally again um but that's when that's when the movie like drops its cynicism but there's some times where the characters talk to you the audience when when the analyst slash neil patrick harris's character holds up the apple for the bullet time shot he's like here here audience are you happy we did the thing oh, yeah. Um, yeah and i get how audience members could like feel like they're being spited by that like the the last jedi sort of sensation of you think you went star wars but we're gonna do the opposite so I kind of get that. Um, I didn't necessarily have that reaction because I didn't want another Matrix. Uh, and also I expect Matrix to be heady, whereas Star Wars isn't or isn't supposed to be or typically hasn't been. So I th that was that was my read on it is like that was kind of in there for people who desperately needed to see 
old Matrix again. Hmm. I thought it also kind it. of yep. made context in the story too of of like they're trying to well, trying to well, zero let me, Neo. let me ask you this. Well, for, first I want to address Seabrad in the chat. Seabrad, you don't need to watch it again. By the way, you are not wrong. If you didn't like the boardroom shit, that's totally fine. Like you feel free to not like it. It's okay. I'm just telling you we we've, uh, we've been through that. Um, but I can see why it feels cringe because it is cringe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, re in real life, it is cringe. Um, no, I was I was assuming that the projected scenes that were they were showing in the movie from the previous films were from the video game he made am i wrong so yeah that was the context of it is that in that version of the matrix the the movie was a game that people played which is weird because i feel like at some point in the concepting of this movie they were going to have scenes from the movie rendered in a video game engine which might be what the matrix awakens was alluding to um, that, that demo that you can download, the tech demo. So that, oh, yeah, yes, yes. I think that might have tried that at some point, maybe that was supposed to be the technical wow factor of this matrix is that all the matrix one scenes were rendered in an engine. I could see that being like the concept at some point, clearly it didn't make it through to execution, but, uh, there's a couple like that leads to a couple of things that I think are just, just amazing that. In, so in Matrix 1, essentially, a dude gets courted by a hot girl in latex and gets to lead a cool superhero hacker lifestyle, which is just like a really kind of surface-level fantasy for a lot of a lot of boring white dudes. <laughs> but like, myself included, by the way. But uh, in Matrix 4, a dude makes a video game. The video game characters come to life and tell him that he can go into the video game and be a digital god in there. That's the premise of the movie, even though it's buried under a lot of layers of meta irony. And that's the dumbest fucking thing. That's like the most surface level fantasy. That's a very 90s movie um, that I thought was amazing. I really, oh, wait, really like that. You're, you're blowing my mind because, wait, hold on. So, uh, let, me, let me get this straight. So first, they resurrect Neo and Trinity. They both die, right, in Revolutions. Yep. They resurrect them. They put them back into a new matrix that Neil, Neil Patrick Harris has designed. Mm -hmm. And then in order for Neil Patrick Harris to find something for Neo to do in his matrix, uh, Neo then makes a video game about his previous memories from a previous matrix. Is that correct? A uh, sort of, um, I don't know that that timeline played out like that. I think, I think Neo is just Tom Anderson with like that backstory sort of implanted. Uh, oh, okay. All I think right. the, as the, the aspect about the game coming to life is that he made his modal, which is like a matrix right. inside the matrix. He made a simulation of the matrix one that was running on his machine, which is where the movie starts, which by the way is another meta irony thing. When matrix two and three were gonna come out, I remember everybody was sort of speculating that there would be another matrix. Like that was supposed to be the twist of the third movie is that the reason Neo can shoot, can beam down robots with his mind is because right, the real world is another Matrix. I remember but, that, yeah. Yeah, but at the intro of Matrix 4, it actually starts in a simulation inside the Matrix. So it is two Matrixes deep. They actually did that. But it, it like, they did it in a way that didn't, like, wasn't immediately obvious. So I thought it was fun that they took that expectation and used it just in a way that was completely different than people were expecting. So the characters... All right, hold on, because now I'm now I'm confused. Because if the if the characters then were in the mode, so for example, uh, 
Lawrence Fishburne or uh, what's his name? Yaya. Uh, the guy that plays Morpheus. Mm -hmm. He is he is a basically a digital uh, projection made up of nanomachines in the real world. Yes. Right. He is. But. But what about bugs? If bugs came from the Matrix that Tom Anderson designed, how is bugs real in the real world? Bugs is from the Matrix that the machines designed. Morpheus but, is but, from the simulation of Matrix One that Tom Anderson made. But because so bugs is still real, but but bugs was from the Matrix that was in the Neil Patrick Harris Matrix, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. All right. That's what. So they they basically found each other. Is what happened. More, yeah, Bugs found Morpheus. Um, and Morpheus in the, was... In the modal. In the yes, modal. and Morpheus yeah. was an... Uh, Morpheus is a Matrix 1 agent. Because there weren't really agents anymore either. Now they just use right. bots. But yeah. uh, but uh, Neo or Tom Anderson made a recreation of Matrix 1, hoping that somehow by recreating it, he would figure out why he doesn't feel like he belongs. Correct. And yeah. it ended up working. Uh, Bugs found it. And in so doing, discovered that one of the agents had become sentient and was the new Morpheus, basically. That's my understanding of it anyway. That, sound, that sounds right. I think. Okay, so yeah, we're on the same page. Because, like, I thought you were going to blow my mind and say that Bugs wasn't real. I was like, what the fuck? I'm but, sure Bugs um, real. Yeah, but, I, but that makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. Because I only saw it once again. You saw, you saw it twice. So I think you have a better understanding. Um... Yeah, uh, King Saren said, Lawrence explaining this makes sense. Watching the movie, this isn't clear. And I would agree. Um, I was along for the ride and was really trying to understand, and I thought that I did. It sounds like I pretty much did. Um, but I think if, as the more we talk about it, I'm sure I'll have more questions for you, Lawrence. There's, uh, yeah, there. like I said, there are, they do so much story and lore explaining with like two lines, and then the movie moves on. So, yeah. yeah. It, it makes it actually does kind of click but it does require you to kind of like limber up your brain about reality and digital things being real um so yeah the the movie is actually pretty heady in terms of its like science fiction trappings mm -hmm. uh but yeah when you watch it the first time you're kind of distracted by all the meta irony and shit yeah um i will i like i again i was kind of like i felt I felt like I could understand what was going on, even, and I was just happy to accept the nano machines made up Morpheus, and that we were also friends with machines who joined our rebellion. Which I, by the way, th thought was totally real. I, I that was something to me that could totally happen if we had a war with machines, and then there were a few machines that had decided, you know what, I don't want to fight for the machines. I want to fight for the humans. I that was cool. Um, I liked that little piece of the lore they added. Yeah. Uh. And so, oh, okay. Let me ask you this: uh, Why could why did why was Neo not able to get his powers back, but then Trinity could fly at the end, but not Neo? And then eventually they both flew. Why did that happen? Um, presume well. That, that, I think that's in the realm of theory. Uh, oh, okay, all right. I wasn't sure if you had a, like an actual answer for. The, for me or not. Honestly, the best answer and one that might be a scapegoat might not is that in the in the thoroughly contrived confrontation between Neo and and uh New Smith. Mm -hmm. Um they fight for a little bit and then Smith is like, "You changed. You lost something." And Neo was like, "You're right. I'm not 
I'm not that guy anymore. So you could read into it like Neo is older now and he doesn't have that. What I read into that is that he doesn't have that kind of rage against the machine, fuck everything up energy anymore. Yeah. Um, which you can also read into the, the fight between, you know, the air quotes fight between him and Morpheus in the dojo training throwback sequence. Neo just, Neo doesn't really fight anymore in any of the scenes. Um, it's true, he doesn't. It'd so, be tempting yeah, to say right. that like, oh, he like Keanu Reeves was older, but we've seen John Wick, so like we know that he can. I actually think it might be a writing thing. Neo is a pacifist. Um, so I think, and, and I think he also kind of, he's not the one anymore, even though the one wasn't even really a thing ever. It was just a, another element of control kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess he didn't believe, didn't know how, forgot how, willingly forgot how to manipulate the matrix like that. Like he still could to some degree, but he just didn't have the juice anymore. And Trinity did, I guess. Yeah, that's that's why, really the best why I did, got. Why did Trinity? <laughs> I mean, why did Neo in the first movie? Uh, I think I think I think at that point well, but, it's just kind of like she is the one. Um, well, yeah, because I mean, I guess Neo Neo did in the first movie because they had they had to designate a one. That was like their basically it was like a bug in the Matrix, right? Wasn't that the lore? Is that every yeah, Matrix I mean, had to have a one? Sorta. Of. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess in context of Matrix 2 and 3, the one exists to sort of define the undefinable aspect of humanity, which ended up being free will. So Neo is the one man they grant free will so that he can run around in the Matrix, have human experiences, right. and then reintegrate so, they, so the machines can better learn how to understand humanity. Right. Um, so right. theoretically that happened again, although from how the analyst talks, they don't really do that anymore. It's really just keeping them close but separate. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, now it just seems way, like... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, which sounds like... Uh, it sounds like retconning, but if you go back and watch the other Matrixes, then I guess it kind of makes sense because truly, even though the... Well, the story tells you over and over he's the one. But in this one, in Resurrections, they say, no, no, it's both of them. Um, and I think that's cool. I mean, there's but, also a line in, in Resurrections of Neo saying, I didn't ever believe I was the one either. Um, because the, like, the one is not really a thing, uh, as teed up by the second and third movie. It's just something that, it's like a legend that they make up, so that everyone in the Matrix buys into it. Well, wait, hold on, Lawrence, but why did, why could he control machines outside of the Matrix and Revolutions? <laughs> yeah, that, that I never really actually wrapped my head around. Um, I, would, I, I don't think anybody could. So I, I wanted an answer to that question for years. The closest <laughs> that comes to is there, there are schools of philosophy that kind of, kind of Plato's parable, a cave kind of, kind of thing where once you understand that reality is a reflection of something else, if you can grasp that ultimate truth, if you can understand how to bend not only your own perception, but others, then you do get the powers of a god in any reality. So I think that's what they were alluding to. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, is that, is that once you understand actual universal truth and, and become fully actualized, that with the powers of your mind... So because, that's supernatural. Yeah. That's, yeah. Not, that's not sci-fi anymore, that's supernatural. Yeah, it's, it's just like, it's, it's like almost, it's like borderline drugged out Philip K. Dick science fiction. Essentially, <laughs> or or honestly, it's a uh, like reaching full enlightenment. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that so. was that was the whole idea. Is that yeah, Neo is Neo is the one actualized man, the only man that actually has free will. He 
he can rise above his status as being a slave to his his circumstances and his uh and yeah. his uh, upbringing or whatever he can choose which is you know it's the it's the final line between him and smith and smith who is a slave to his his purpose dies once he loses his purpose which is to kill neo so by sacrificing himself he has undone smith except now he hasn't so you know <laughs> well, yeah i was gonna say so, so sorry i didn't mean to derail us on the revolutions but i was the reason I'm asking is because in this movie, it feels like Resurrections is trying to tell us, well, there isn't the one. We need both Neo and Trinity. And as long as Neo and Trinity are both there, then, uh, you know, they have the power to change things or not. If, if the analysts can keep them, you know, under control. Is that right? Yeah. And, and there, there are schools of thought and, and like, like you said, literary, literary analyses of the Matrix films that basically posit that Neo and Trinity are one person split into two. Um, so by uniting, then they become a full person capable of love and completeness. Um, oh, cool. Okay. Which she's called Trinity. So really, it's it's Neo, Trinity, and Smith that form a complete person. Um, sure. Which is kind of why Smith is still around and, and says things like, you never appreciated our relationship because Smith is actually a part of Neo kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah there, there, there are parts where the Matrix very willingly, I think, goes off into uh, non-specifics in terms of its characters and what they can do and why. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and then Scott, Scott yeah. brings up a good point in chat about how Neo and Trinity have to be together because there's a lot of binary talk in, in Matrix 4. Actually, the game that, that Thomas Anderson was working on before he woke up again was called Binary, so there's a lot of that imagery, too. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, yeah, I saw somebody in chat, my chat say, uh, I didn't really get any of this, but I still liked it. And I think the movie is likable. I think it's fun to watch. Uh, I was bummed that there weren't any really good action scenes. Like that was, and you know, that's obviously, a, I'm, uh, I'm in the, I'm in the boardroom talking about bullet time, but I was bummed that I didn't get at least a little bit of Matrix action, um, and there was a, there was a little bit of it, but it, it didn't feel it didn't feel quite like the uh, wide wide shot, you know, thirty second choreographed fight mm -hmm. that we would get from the other Matrix. I I don't know if you felt that way. I did. I mean, I was I was disappointed, like I think a lot of people were. Um, what I think what was more confusing to me is that some of the some of the um, some of the cinematography was just a little off like there was some of that where like in the in the scene where like uh, morpheus busts in to the office and they have their like office shootout that's sort of grandly referential to the uh to the finale of the first movie with, like the slow motion rain and everything Mor morpheus is out there like doing flips and stuff but a lot of them are like weirdly off camera like half of his body's off camera while he's doing these cool matrix flips and i'm like yeah, yeah. what why didn't you just frame him correctly so there, there's some weirdness there for sure now that said uh if you go back to the original matrix I'd, how recently have you have you rewatched it that's a good question i it, it's maybe like two three years ago i mean a lot of it holds up and there's there's some really really excellent uh fights and, and cinematography in there but I think I think the weight of a lot of it kind of rode on the back of the the like meaning of the scenes, which is completely different in this movie. 
So like the dojo fight was rad because it was like, it was the first time you were seeing uh, Matrix Kung Fu, but mm -hmm. you've already seen mm -hmm. it. So like I went back and watched that movie or sorry, watched, yeah, Matrix 1. And a lot of the, a lot of that stuff is still really, really cool. Um, but uh, if, if that were in Matrix 4, I think it still would have disappointed people. Um, maybe. I mean, the, the Neo versus Smith fight, if there was something on that level in Matrix 4, I think people would have been very satisfied. But a lot of the stuff that they did in Matrix 1, like if you take out bullet time, which the movie almost intentionally said it wasn't going to do, yeah. then you basically yeah. have the dojo fight, you have the lobby shootout, which was, no, that was all bullet time, never mind. Um, and then you just have the big set pieces like the helicopter blowing up and stuff like that, so. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I, I it's, it's, I think you're right. I think you're right. I agree with you. There were, there were a couple scenes that still stand out to me from Reloaded and Revolutions. One of which is the fight of him fighting uh, the Keymaster. I think its name is. Uh, Who fought the Keymaster? You mean Seraph? Or, Seraph. Seraph, that's who it is. Yeah, Seraph. Yeah. I don't know. That I, one was I dope as that, hell. Yeah, I remember that fight being fucking rad. Um, and because uh, that was, again, like, it's a wide shot. And they have... They spent weeks clearly choreographing that fight, and it looked great. And I didn't really get many of those in this one. Uh, so I wasn't even looking for bullet time or anything. I was just kind of looking for, for cool choreographed fights because I there aren't many movies that do those, even now. Um, hmm. And I always thought I always thought The Matrix did those so well, even when they were you know, fully deep in the Matrix lore. I, I thought that those fights were always done really, really well. And like the only only other fights I can really think of like that are, you know, talking about the raid or um, the lightsaber fight in uh, Phantom Menace or those those sorts of really fucking cool single take choreographed fights. So they, I just didn't get that. That was just for me. That's just that's just a personal thing. That wasn't like, you know, they didn't need to fulfill that for me to like the movie. It's just something I thought about. No, I, I agree. I would have been cool to to have that element back. Um, I think I think the movie said pretty clearly that it wasn't well. And and this is where I feel like audiences could feel like they were being spited, which makes sense to me. But I think the movie kind of tried to say it wasn't trying to be that. But then there were action sequences that were okay, which is odd. Like probably the coolest yeah. stunt in the whole thing was was Neo doing like the double wall run kick, which was kind of neat. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, like, the, the supporting actors when, and again, pretty pretty superfluous scene, but when Merovingian comes back and brings a lot of weirdos to just fight for no reason. Um, <laughs> the supporting cast, there's some, like, there's some pretty decent side takes of them tossing up with some stunt performers. It's not there. the, like, it's not the Hong Kong action. It is a little more, like, kind of North America action sequence, but... They're not the worst, yeah. uh, and yeah. it, but I do think I think yeah, it didn't didn't meet expectations in that regard for sure. It's, uh, I was really excited to see the Merovingian by the way because I really like that character, <laughs> and I I could not hear a word that motherfucker said. I yeah. he, he had a bunch of shit on his face, and he had the thickest accent in the world, and they had him yelling at the top of his lungs while music was playing and people were fighting, and I, and I wanted to hear what he was saying. I had that uh, problem too, which is why I, I, I watched it again, specifically with subtitles on. I remember people uh, having that issue with Matrix 2 and 3. Uh, like, they couldn't understand Merovingian because his accent was too damn strong. 
It's a, I think it's a French accent for that that actor. Yeah. But, uh, was it the same actor? I didn't even look at the credits. Yeah, it's the same actor. Um, and I was really excited about. It. I thought they were gonna bring back uh, Monica Bellucci too, but um, but it was just it was cool to see Merovingian. I was like, oh man, I can't wait. And then he was like. I was like, what? I don't know what he said. So, uh, so that, like you said, that whole scene was just a throwaway. I was like, okay. It didn't end up super mattering, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> he's mostly just complaining about how he used to be. He used to have a great life, and Neo fucked it all up. So he's here to he's here to repay the favor, basically. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I think if you want to read into it, because there's a lot of. There's a lot of commentary about the Hollywood system, and I mean, God, the the fucking the the villain is called the analyst for Christ's sakes. Um, <laughs> if if anything, you could argue that the Merovingian is an insert for like all of the Hollywood executives that were living fat off the Matrix and then got mad that the Wachowskis didn't want to just keep making that forever. Um, if you want to be really kind to the movie and its and its representations, yeah. Um... And I could, I could see that. I mean, like they, they made those direct references to Warner Brothers in the film. Yeah, which was pretty great. Um, which also yeah, which the is, Matrix Awakens. Did you ever play the the tech demo for Matrix Awakens? I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought the tone of that was so weird and confusing, but having it played was. Matrix Four or having watched Matrix Four now, it makes all the sense in the world. Because I think neo and trinity are there like matrix four characters at the end of the film in that demo the way that they talk to each other and stuff oh okay all right yeah that makes sense yeah they're like weirdly self-aware and jokey about about hollywood stuff huh okay all right i'm fine I'm, I'm going along with you there i'm fine with that i don't know that it makes it any better but it's just something to think about i guess <laughs> um the uh the whole machine world thing it seemed like a lot for them to have to like penetrate the giant machine fortress twice did that not seem like a lot to you oh just in just in terms to of get to get neo back and then also to get trinity back like i was like that would this be more heavily guarded I, I don't mean, know. Yeah, they, they tried to address that in the, the dialogue, right? They were like, we used our one shot to get you out. And then they come up with a whole heist scheme to do it again. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I don't know. Was the heist, did the heist, was that cool? Was that cool for you? Mm, it didn't make sense. Uh, yeah, that's what I was really trying. I was really trying to be like, I want this to make sense. I, I really do. <laughs> the first movie is pretty clear about the rules, about the like, it, it's so good at establishing stakes. If you're in the Matrix and you die, you die. You have to get to, a, like, a hard line to get out. So it, it sets mm -hmm. up, like, so many good chase sequences based on those world rules. The rules of Matrix 4 are a little different. Um, and they don't explain them explicitly. But I think, like, you can't just leave. You still have to go to, like, a portal. You have to go to a reflective surface. Right. Which, by the way, there's so much imagery in Matrix 4 about reflections. It kind of plays into that one and zero binary thing again like just mm -hmm. just the opening there's code crawling down that says the matrix and then code crawls up to say resurrections which you know phoenix rising but like code never mm. crawls up never ever um so that was kind of weird right away i'm like oh what are they doing they're twisting it on me again <laughs> and then the next shot is code reflected through puddles on the ground and it's craw crawling up because it's reflected right 
And then right. the way that Neo gets out of the Matrix is going through a mirror. Uh, he like he transitions scenes in the Merovingian fight to like the dirty basement or whatever by falling through another mirror. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of like I think you have to get to a mirror or a reflective surface to exit the Matrix now or something like that. You have to go through a, a, a portal, a reflective portal, to see the other world. Um, so, based on that, with the heist and stuff, it's like, they tried to set up the stakes of it, but it was really fuzzy. Like, Trinity has to choose of her own free will. Once that happens, we can... Like, I don't quite understand, having watched it twice now, I don't understand why they had to have Bugs be like a surrogate. Right, that, the, the surrogate... The surrogate part was the most... I was like, why? And I'm sure they explained it, but I still don't know. They kind of didn't. I think it was something like... It's almost like the Indiana Jones thing of like trying to swap the statue with the weight. I think they were trying to make it so the machines wouldn't know right away that they were oh, trying to get her out. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. All right. There we go. That's all I needed. And probably teed, <laughs> up, probably teed up the like one of the cooler original science fiction or one of the cooler like visual shots of like Trinity freaking out her splitting into like multiple shadow images I thought that was a neat shot yeah yeah no uh, okay that makes that makes a lot of sense that it's like you don't want the matrix to know that she's gone until she is already gone yeah you have her physical body out but she was still yeah. connected with the matrix because you like you can you can go into the matrix wirelessly but you always could that was kind of a thing in the old movies yeah so yeah i i'm still a little fuzzed about that i don't think they did a really good job of of yeah setting up the the rules and the stakes of of the trinity heist um phobos asked do you both feel that the robots slash ai had too much personality i liked that <laughs> i mean they I were taught how to be fun. human by neo right um i well were the you mean like the the one that looked like a an eagle or a bird and like there were a few other were they taught by neo is that why i mean that that was what i read from the the end of the third movie is that neo kind of merged his consciousness into the matrix to kind of teach teach he, they were he was basically integrating the human aspects of free will into the machines and teaching them how to feel and be human so that they could okay. coexist peacefully um i mean i'm assuming a lot there because they didn't really get into that but uh, oh, that's fine. I thought that's what I read into it is that the Matrix has been around for a long time and now has hybridized with human consciousness. Uh, so it makes sense that they would be a little more quirky and human. I mean, in Matrix One, though, Smith expresses that he thoroughly resents being in the Matrix. So they're capable of resentment and hatred and, and well, some sentience. form of emotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because that was we had that, that was the beginning of. I mean, the Matrix they had machines had already been sentient for a long time at that point. Um, because they created the Matrix. Uh, okay, yeah. All right, that makes sense. Um, somebody was asking, how'd you like the new Smith? I thought he, I thought he was great. I thought he did a great job. I, I wish that Hugo Weaving was there, but he wasn't. Yeah, that's so. a bummer. I mean, I thought he did a good job, but uh, Hugo Weaving, man, can't can't beat him. No, you can't. He is he's a just a giant presence. Also, and I actually died. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, I don't even know if they asked him. I'm not even sure. I remember somebody saying that that he was approached but was unavailable because he was doing another shoot or something like that. Hmm. Uh, that that was just an anecdote that I heard, though. I have no idea if that's actually the case. Yeah. Uh, what were you gonna say? I, ju I just thought, on the subject of Smith, I thought his 
his presence in the movie wasn't quite very well justified. Aside from it just, wasn't. yeah, you are correct. Yeah. He's he's connected with Neo in very spiritual ways. Um, and and I guess based on the fact that there are a lot of programs that have been kicking around the Matrix through its multiple iterations, like the Merovingian and all of his weird werewolf boys and ghost boys and stuff, uh, it kind of makes sense that Smith's consciousness still resided in the Matrix somewhere. I think probably it was more... It, it had more meaning as being representative of, like, the creative process and how there's going to be a... There's going to be a businessman in the room that's going to do the shitty thing or going to be that part of the conversation. That seemed to be more what Smith represented in context of, re of Resurrections, but... Like, he... He showed up once to just force some action, and that's it. And then he showed up at the end just to be like, I really like being in the Matrix and trying to take control of it. Or I guess. Yeah. He's like, I have plans, and this will I ruin guess. them. And then he just leaves. He's like, alright, I'm done. See you later. And then just walks out of the movie. So, he it was too much like, my motivations are mysterious because I'm a jester for right. me. Especially in a movie that's otherwise very intentional and deterministic with what it does and says. It's, uh, it's funny you say that because that's how I felt. That's what they did to Hugo Weaving's character, I thought, in like Revolutions and Reloaded. Because in, in The Matrix, it's very clear what Agent Smith wanted. And then in, in Reloaded, it's it's like, okay, he's he now wants out, right? He now and he's he wants out and Neo's in his way. Is that what it was? In Reloaded, he was trying to figure out why he was alive. <laughs> I think. And See, he, this is what I mean. It, it got it got really like uh, vague. Yeah. As as time went on. Philosophically, he just served as the counterpoint to Neo's existences having free will. Um, and I think he, I mean, he does a monologue before he fights Neo in the Burly Brawl. And he talks about how he, he was given, like, life, but he doesn't know what to make of it because he doesn't know his purpose for living. And his, the one that he's decided on is to kill Neo. That's, that's all he can figure, is that he lives to right. kill Neo. Um, so he, that's, that's basically what he's doing through Matrix 2 and 3. But that means he's not a, he doesn't have sentience because he's slave to his purpose, basically. Right, 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 right. Um, and that so that that to me so like I I wasn't so when New Smith pops up and is like I am bad and no I am good like I was kind of like I don't, <laughs> I don't I don't fucking care like that's what he did before um, in two and three he was oh, okay he was very uh, you know while waxing and waning he just kind of do whatever he wanted so because somebody in the chat was like oh wasn't that weird how he, and I was like I don't whatever <laughs> um <laughs> that's what smith did before uh i i always thought smith was great in one and then two and three that he became a little more just uh wishy-washy but that's okay um so. here's a theory hmm maybe maybe smith in this movie is the is the representation of the need to like insert action and stuff because he just shows up and he's like hey it's time to fight um and and before he realizes he's Smith, he's kind of that force in the context of Tom Anderson's life. He's the guy that's like, hey, guess what? We're making Matrix Four, buddy. You cool right. with that? You're good. Because we're doing it. So get used to the idea. So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's part of it. Again, maybe Smith now just represents 
the things that Lana Wachowski doesn't like about the creative process and working with big studios. Hmm. That's really interesting. Well, you touched on a, on a another important point that I've seen a lot of people say is that uh, Lana Wachowski's talking about um, transition, specifically their transition uh, in this movie, which I believe also can be an allegory. I don't know if it's necessarily the uh, Lana Wachowski's allegory, but I have seen people say that it that it, that it is. And uh, uh, in in Resurrections, yeah, huh. um, and. Uh, and like, I was like, huh, like, okay. Like that was, and again, something I don't know anything about. So sort of relying on what people are, are just sort of saying throughout the internet. And I, I was like, okay, I could see parts of this film acting as an allegory for that specifically, but I don't actually know that. Um, and I don't, I wasn't sure if you had thought about that at all. I mean, I thought about it. I, I, I don't know that the, the movie you know, at large, specifically about that, but I think I think the themes of like the fact that that Tom Anderson and Tiffany don't look like what they know they are. They they don't, they don't look like their soul. Um, but they didn't know that. And actually, there's a really amazing scene if you watch it a second time, knowing that they don't look like what they look like, where Tiffany talks about God talks about asking Chad to look at the Matrix video game. And she's like, doesn't that character look like me? And Chad laughs. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. she doesn't look like that. But right. Tiffany saw Trinity and knew that was her because she saw her soul, um, right. which is actually right. super sweet um, that, that somebody could connect with somebody else through a work of art like that. Um, I think that's probably the strongest aspect of the movie that, that could acknowledge or, or talk about transitioning is that you know what you look like and you know who you are and you know what your soul is even if right. your container doesn't look like that and you can yeah. fall in love with somebody seeing their soul but the way their body looks doesn't matter if you if you know what their soul is so it's one of those you know love transcends all kind of things but yeah. i think specifically in how it was treated in the movie uh put a very concrete aspect to it yeah, totally. I, I was, that was something that I, I thought I was kind of rolling around in my head as, as I was watching it too. Is it could be an allegory for that? And that's cool. Um, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Like I, I think it's really interesting to watch an artist uh, work something out on a page or in a movie, um, or having worked it out, then turn it into you know what their art is, uh, and. That's always that's always really cool knowing where it's coming from, too. I like to I like to hear what artists think of their own art and how they've interpreted their own art. Uh, I mean, it's always yeah. fun. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I, was, I love hearing that. A lot of people do not, but I love hearing that. Oh, that I mean that's that's the thing that I found the most invigorating about Matrix Four, is that it a lot of a lot of it was, you know, Lana Wachowski basically telling her experience to the audience through through Tom Anderson. What was that what is that one line where Tom Anderson and Tiffany are talking in the coffee shop and he references like the only and one of the more specific lines he has is he describes the Matrix as keeping some kids entertained. Um which I thought Ooh. was just like, damn, is that how they feel about how the world reacted to it? Is that is that like people are like, Oh my god, the guns and the explosions and the Wachowskis are just like, Well, okay, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm glad some people had a good time with it. Kind of, kind of yeah. missed the bigger picture, but 
uh, I don't know. I was I was super down with like the commentary uh, in the movie, not only about that but the creative process. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was along for the ride the whole time. I don't. Uh, this wasn't something that I was. <clears throat> I. I thought since they were following up Reloaded and Revolutions, I didn't expect much from this film. Um, and so when I watched it, I was like, that was uh, about what I expected. A little a little better. And I don't know if you I don't know if you were going into this with really high expectations and you were, and they were mad or what. I don't know. I was I would have only been disappointed if it was a direct crowd pleasing Matrix Got film. It, yeah. Um, yeah. If it if it was just like the same hero's tale with the same like similar action sequences, like I always like watching action. Don't get me wrong, I'm a huge fan of stunt work and action cinematography. Um, like I love the John Wick movies, absolutely adore them. So I would have been I would have been happy on some level, but I'm so much more pleased that it was instead a more sincere, original, and genuine expression. Um, mm -hmm. That I feel like, yeah, it gave me a lot to think about. Um, that's what I wanted. I wanted I wanted the unexpected. I guess, and and it delivered. Uh, and now now the problem is I've come to expect that out of every Wachowski film, so it's going to be an issue going forward, I think. But all their films <laughs> so far have have always satisfied that desire in me. Yeah, and I, I uh, Saren was saying Lana's derisive response to the audience was kind of sad. She didn't have to treat us like that. And I, it's interesting you say that because I I. See, I can see both sides. I see your side in chat because I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like shitting on the audience, that kind of sucks. But then I, I can also see her side because if she didn't like the way it was received, I mean, like this is something Lawrence and I talk about all the time. It's like you can't, you can't tell people how to interpret your creation. Once you've released it in the world, that's it. Uh, but you can still talk about what, how it makes you feel. You can, you can still talk about uh, what your feelings are toward the audience receiving in a specific way. Like you said, it's like just keeping some kids entertained. If that's not what Lana Wachowski wanted for their art, then it sucks. And she can say as much. Uh, so th there's a fine, this is the fine line with pop culture art is that if you're making art for a billion people, then you do actually have to think about the audience a little bit. <laughs> well, um, I guess that's you know. that's the crux of it, though, Bruce. I don't think Matrix Two and Three are pop culture art. They are art. It's, it's fine art, actually. It's it's a movie that exists to say something without without really a whole lot of acknowledgement about how the audience will react. And that was Matrix Four. And, and honestly, yeah. I think one of the bigger virtues of Four is maybe making people more aware that not all art exists to entertain. It, it isn't all audience serving. Sometimes the best art is purely expressive. And you come to it because you want to know what the artist has to say, not because they are laboring to produce a fun ride for you. Um, and, and for whoever said that in chat, I, I should acknowledge, like, this isn't a pointed response to what you said. I totally oh, yeah, understand yeah. if you watch Matrix 4 and felt like you were being... Uh, Talked down to. Derided, yeah. It's The Last Jedi yeah. thing, except I got way more of that out of Last Jedi than I did this movie. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Last Jedi seemed to have open contempt for like Star Wars. Uh, it did. Some, yeah, which you know. It did. Could you know whatever. Um, but uh, uh, I, I guess one of the things that bugs me, uh, and this can even be in relation to like No Way Home, is that people have 
by and large, and, and this is, I guess, just the realm of pop art, but people talk about a, a movie's value purely in regards to how entertained they were. Like, how good was it? Is it good? Uh, just because that's really all you can do with a Marvel film. How good is it? But not did it do anything interesting? Did it ask any interesting questions? Did it leave you with something to chew on? Because that's not what Marvel films are for. So it, it bugs me sometimes when people talk about movies with the assumption that the barometer of quality is how entertained most people were. Like, did it please as many people as possible? As though that's the only mission of art to please and entertain as many people as possible. When you do that, you only get pretty sanitized stuff. Uh, pretty broad, non-specific stuff. So, I was very glad that this movie did not do that. Um, or um, intentionally chose not to. I uh, completely agree with you, Lawrence. I'll, I'll counterpoint you here only because I agree with you, but then there's also a whole other thing, which is if this was made to be fine art and not pop art, well then Lana Wachowski doesn't need $100 million to make a movie. <laughs> but she right? took because, it. I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, I, no, no. Well, totally, right? Because she's earned it. Um, yeah. And uh, was this and a hundred million dollar movie? No, I don't. I don't. Whatever the whatever the budget was, I'm, I'm, it was relatively high. I'm sure. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if maybe that explains uh, some of the weirder action. Is that maybe it was a budgetary thing? They did what they could, but I don't know. Um, people are saying 180, 195, No shit, yeah. really? Yeah, oh yeah, man. Yes, yeah. And so, the, and so this is this is why. If you want to million dollars, holy shit! Yeah, if you want to make a fine art movie, that's totally fine. But you're probably not going to get 195 million dollars to make a film. Yeah. And when, when you when you make it at that scale, you have to please exactly 400 500 million dollars worth of people. Um, well, in you order don't have to. to. Make... You can take the check, make a big movie, <laughs> and then walk away. You're right. Because you'll never get you're funded right. again. Um, that was honestly You're, my worry yeah. after like, after Speed Racer and fucking Jupiter Ascending, I was like, Jesus Christ, they're never going to get to make a high budget movie ever again. Um, and I would still watch whatever they make, but I was like, man, they are not bankable names anymore. And somehow they keep getting funded. God bless. So I, you're right though, Bruce. Yeah, that is, that is people the system. care. People care. Well, and that's the, and that's, that's what pop art is, right? That's why MCU's working. Um, is uh, oh the box office is currently 106 million. Well, that's domestic, right? That's got to be only domestic. Well, also, also it was, HBO, it was HBO Max, HBO Max. Day one, yeah. So yeah, HBO Max. That's gonna that'll that'll make its money back. I think uh, maybe. Ooh, um, I don't know, Bruce. <laughs> they they spent a lot of money on marketing, I'm sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it no, surprise me if this movie lost money. Lawrence, as a as a completely selfish venture, meaning somebody came to Lana Wachowski was like, hey, you want to write a movie? It doesn't matter what it's about. But it has to be the Matrix, and uh, she was like, "How much do I get? 180 million? There you go. Yeah, let's do it." <laughs> you know, like, um, so it's it's interesting because I don't. Who knows if Lana Wachowski was like, "I would like to make three more Matrixes," or if she was like, "Fuck it, I'll just do this one." Um, well, the movie seemed and, to say specifically that Warner was going to make one regardless, so she decided yeah. she might as well be involved. Which, Which I is love, awesome, by yeah, because yeah, she she made like a crazy art film instead of yeah. a crowd pleasing like servile film that just tried tried to like one up all the things people liked about the originals. Yeah. Oh, by the way, it's it's 106 million worldwide. Mm. <laughs> bad, bad news. Um. So that so so uh that's sort of the 
that's the system that we're in, which sucks. Um, and and the the truth of the matter is, we really we get to we get some really good stuff. Like I like I like Lawrence that you liked this because you're right. They took a lot of risks, and I was excited to see them take risks rather than rehash like Force Awakens. Right? I was excited to see that because uh, I'd like to see something new. That I because then I might get something new out of it and I might enjoy it. Um, unfortunately, this was not the fucking home run, but it's kind of, you can't write, you don't generally write two home runs in your career. Like you don't write two matrixes, right? Uh, so I had low expectations for the film. And if I were Lana Wachowski and they came to me and said, hey, you know, write whatever script you'd like, I would have been like, you bet, I'll do it. Uh, because she doesn't need to please audiences anymore. Um, and this is something I've talked a lot about with albums. People like uh, musicians writing albums where they have like a breakout album that's huge. And then the next album, they're like, we're going to produce the entire thing ourselves. And it's shit. <laughs> um, and then they write it, they release it, and everyone goes, boy, that first album was great, but this second album's trash. Uh, it turns out it's because, well, you needed a lot more creatives around that group of creatives to make something great because they were looking to make the big, the, the, I guess the best possible product in quotes, best possible product for the largest, uh, audience. And so maybe that's why the second album wasn't as good. So it's kind of the same thing here is this one Wachowski's not going to, they're, you know, not going to hit another home run because she doesn't have to, <laughs> uh, and the matrix, maybe, maybe she felt a little more pressure to. Maybe maybe she had a few producers or executives being like, but it's also got to be really fucking cool. Um, and she was like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. And then this time around, not as much, which is okay, by the way. No big deal. Yeah, maybe. Um, that's that's the tricky thing is is you never know an, an artist's motivations, really. So it's sometimes it can be tough to judge at the success of a creative work. Like if if a creative work was trying to be popular and it's not, then it, it failed, right? But if an artist just had something to express, and they expressed their vision as fully and completely as they wanted to, without regard yeah. for public public or popular opinion, then it was a successful work of art on those terms. Um, so it it almost reminds me of like David Lynch. David Lynch whoopsied and like got popular because he kind of <laughs> tripped into a zeitgeist but he was never ever the kind of director or writer that wanted to make film for everyone he had a vision and if somebody was going to pay him to make it that's great and however it worked out on the tail end doesn't matter because his vision was the thing that you saw and it, it resonated with people sometimes and then it didn't others but he'll he'll take whatever budget you can give him and he'll make his own thing um and to some degree i feel like that's kind of the same thing as is sometimes artists who put their vision into the world luck out if you can consider it luck some artists wouldn't that it actually does blow up into popular appeal and then that's when your art you have to deal with your art and your expression getting appropriated and misinterpreted and right, taken by right. people and you know a lot of that is obviously in matrix 4 so i felt for a long time that and I think it's pretty clear from watching their films that the Wachowskis, if, if they get budget, they make their vision. And if that happens to appeal to audiences, that's fine. But that's not their first goal. I feel like their first goal is expression. 
And maybe this is just an age thing, but I'm definitely getting to the age where I'd rather see expression than someone try their hardest to make me happy. Yeah, 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 that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I thought she succeeded. At, actually, I can say this. I thought she succeeded as much as I thought Ryan Johnson succeeded with Last Jedi. Because mm. um, Last Jedi succeeded in subverting my expectations, just like the Matrix Resurrections did. And I liked both of them about the same, <laughs> which was like, uh, okay. And I walked out and said, yeah, sure. And then I kind of never thought about it again. So neat that they got to express <laughs> themselves, <laughs> but didn't vibe with me as much as, I mean, but I, I didn't expect it to vibe with me as much as the original Matrix. I, it's okay. That's no big deal. That's a once in a lifetime thing. Um, so, and that's another thing too. I'm really apologetic when it comes to that kind of stuff too. It's like, ah, whatever, you know, like I didn't hate it. This wasn't trash, but it was fun. And I like the, for all the stuff that you talked about, I liked that in the matrix. I thought it was cool. The, 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 the stuff that they were, that she was trying to do was neat. Um, and I appreciate it there. She was like, oh, you know, like throwing in some fucking, some, Stuff that you're like, oh, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't like this. And I was like, okay, cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, all right, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, it was the same with Last Jedi. It's like over and over and over. I was like, yeah, all right, Ryan Johnson, I'm with you. Let's go. And in uh, Rise of Skywalker, I was not. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that's what, um, I mean, Rise of Skywalker yeah. is crazy because it, it followed in basically an art piece, an art film. If, if, if in the context of this conversation, an art film is one that exists for expression and not for audience audience satisfaction. It tried to like flip flop. It it went from an art piece that subverts expectations and expresses its own thing to going back to try to pleasing people. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. yeah, that is such a weird thing. Man, I don't know that that's ever happened before. But Matrix Wars made me think about Last Jedi a lot. Um, I don't know why, because I reacted pretty negatively to Last Jedi. And in all the same ways I should have reacted negative, negatively to Matrix 4, I think... I think what it was is I I never once expected, re requested, or... Like, Star Wars was never that. Star Wars was never highfalutin, uh, philosophical, anything. So I guess in this regard, it, it feels a little more appropriate given that there was a lot of that in Matrix 2 and 3. For it to, to continue on in its own way in four. Right. But yeah, right. I can, I can, again, I can definitely see why somebody would feel uh, condescended to, talk down to, all those things. I, yeah, that's a really good point. It's something I hadn't thought about until I was reading the chat and people were saying that and I was like, gosh, that's a, that's a great point. Because uh, if people really liked Bullet Time and Matrix, because I did, if they really liked it, and then Lionel Chas was like, it wasn't about that. Then I guess you'd be like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, I don't understand. You put it in the movie. Yeah, can it be about both? Yeah, can it and be that's, about both. Thank you, Lawrence. That's that's what I was heading towards. Ugh. It can be about both. And that's 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 what I love. That's why I love Star Wars. That's why I love MCU. It, it can be about all of the things. It's really hard to do. Making pop culture art is really fucking hard to make everybody love it, but also tell a story and tell and have morals. And that's probably the hardest thing in the world to do but it can do it and it's really hard um and i think 
some artists go the David Lynch way where it's just like, fuck it, I can do whatever I want. And then if you get something out of it, great. Mm -hmm. And then uh, some artists go the J.J. Abrams way where they're like, oh, I want to please everybody. And then they blow it. But there's a there's a middle ground that doesn't happen very often. But uh, but it's but when it hits, it is just otherworldly. It's perfection. Um, and I thought the first Matrix did that. Uh, and that's that's really hard to do. <laughs> so it's, sometimes it's an accident. Other times it's on purpose, but it's it's very hard to do. And that's okay if you can't do it every time. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, it's it's the magic intersection where an artist's genuine expression does capture the heart of the masses, and mm -hmm. it does it does wake people up uh, to you know borrow the operative phrase from the movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's like a once every twenty years kind of thing. Um, yeah. Star Wars it's really was really hard. That. Matrix was kind of new. Star Wars. Well, Matrix one anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah, I think one of the uh, things that I, I, because I, I liked the movie the first time I watched it, but I felt a little raw that it seemed so cynical about the, the legacy of the Matrix. Because you, you know, you have all these douche bros talking about how much it meant to them, and really what that means is they thought all the shooting was super cool. I was like, well, look, I mean, come on, the, you know, there was more going on there. What what I realized is when you escape the Matrix in that movie suddenly it becomes so much more positive you know um they go to io and they're growing strawberries and humans and machines are living together so i think yeah. the movie was acknowledging that in the matrix where people really like bland uh nor like air quotes normal lives they like going to their shitty jobs every day they love uh they love experiencing art on the most surface levels that's where everything is super cynical no one got the matrix there uh, but out in the real world, the Matrix actually led to a wonderful explosion of things. Um, I thought there was a really fun sort of dichotomy between there's that scene where the douche bro is telling Tom Anderson how much he loved the Matrix when they were cheersing coffees and stuff like that. And then there's a scene later where uh, a character is telling, telling Trinity how much she meant to her and how cool she was and how that made her feel like brave and stuff. But that was in the real world. So I really mm. appreciated how in the Matrix, everything is cynical and surface level and stupid. Outside the Matrix, everything is real and compassionate and constructive. Makes so, sense. Yeah, so to yeah. me, that sets up kind of a new meaning for the Matrix in context of the story. It just now represents living shallowly, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, th I thought that was neat. I like that. Yeah. All right. I... I absolutely take your meaning and I got that meaning as well. Uh, that's a great way to put it. So, well, that was it. I was, I was just curious to ask you about these movies because I hadn't been able to talk about them with anybody. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I talked about it with Steph quite a bit, but I, I, I could hear people's opinions on Matrix 4 for a long time, a long time. Cause it's one of those where not only did, not only did watching it like give me a lot to think about, but it, I'm going to learn, like, I can't wait to learn more about people from how they react to that movie too. Positive mm -hmm. and negative. I think I think everything's equally valid. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um Yeah, it's fun to it's fun to hear chat as well. That's, that's always going to give different points of view that I had not thought about before. So, that's great. Uh, cool. Thanks, Lawrence. I appreciate it. Oh, not at all, man. I love I yeah. love talking about this stuff. With you. I mean, Bruce, you specifically, you you have you can approach movies on such a non-pretentious non-judgmental level 
Uh, and that makes you so good to talk about movies with because you always like you always find the good in every or mo largely try to find the good in, in most things. I really do. That's why I went and saw Venom 2 because I was like, maybe there's something and there wasn't. But, I, oh, you know, really? I haven't seen Venom 2 I, yet. I'm going to, but you're going to you should just get really wasted and watch both Venoms. They're really stupid. Um, but uh, and obviously, yeah, they're 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 dumb for dumb. They're dumb fun for dumb fun's sake. So I'm not saying that they're like they're bad movies. Well, go watch them. Uh, but it's just like they're not my dumb fun, right? Um, then that's okay. So uh, yeah, I try. I usually try. I, I I think that's why I like. And I've thought a lot about this too. The way I consume media is I watch it. I catalog the way I feel about it when I leave, and then generally do not go back and think about it until I've started talking to someone. So then then I have to start recalling how I felt at specific instances uh, within the media. And what I should be doing is probably more like sitting down and like writing down my thoughts when I'm watching them. Mm. Uh, because I don't, I don't do that. I usually just, I just let myself feel as I'm watching. Uh, and very rarely do I analyze my feelings until afterwards. And then even then it's only when I talk to you or like someone else about it. And I don't usually talk about that stuff. So. Oh man. Yeah. I'm, I, I guess I'm a bit different. I, I analyze nonstop. I analyze what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it. What do they want me to feel this way? How should I be feeling? What is the movie thinking I'm feeling right now? Am I feeling that Ooh. way? Like it's, it's yeah. just a nonstop buzz in my head when I'm watching stuff like that. So yeah, uh, I will, I'll yeah. just put this out there. It is on HBO Max. So I yeah, actually liked, I liked a lot of the action more the second time I watched it. Cause I guess I, I had my expectations lowered, but there's some great shots of like bugs doing wall running and like shooting over yeah. her back. Uh, dude, that shot of like them hucking that person out of the train is still an incredible shot. Oh, it's some of the awesome. stuff on the it's train great. is pretty cool. But yeah, no, but, yeah. it's I I agree. Um, I I totally agree with you. It's I think uh, I would like to. We went. I went and saw in theaters with Autumn just because I was like I would like to see this in, in theaters in the case that it is really bad because then at least it'll be. You know, I know there'll be some action in it that is theater worthy, but it was better than I thought it was. So I think I could probably sit down and watch this at home too. <laughs> so there's a there's one line that has captivated my imagination since I watched it, um, and I have a whole theory about it. But it's seriously one line. They talk about how your this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up because we <laughs> it's getting late. Um, yeah. When they go to IO, they talk about how they have BioSky. And then the, oh, the, yeah. Op yeah. the operator talks about how it regulates your, and he uses an acronym, but it's the same yeah. acronym they use to describe how you look in the matrix, which I thought was like, wait a minute, did he, what does that mean? Why would mm -hmm. you say that in the real world? I think what he means is it produces UV light, which keeps you tan or not as, not as uh, like pale. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh my God, to somebody who's like grown up with the matrix as a thing, the way you look in the mirror isn't you. That's just a thing. It doesn't matter. And That's that right. terminology yeah. carries over to the real world in a very concrete way. Um, and I thought that was so awesome that somebody in that universe would just throw that term out to describe how you look. It's not just your digital representation. SRI. That was the one. Thank you. Yeah, he says, oh, it regulates your SRI. And it's such a throwaway line. I was like, what? Why did he use that to talk about how you actually look in the real world? And then I realized it's because it's just as fake to who you are as how you look in the matrix. And I was like, wow, that's so cool that it was used that is in that really way. cool. That is really cool that 
the writers thought about that. Because um, I remember that line, actually. It's funny, because they say it, and the acronym just goes right on by. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And I just let it go. It sounds like Technobabble, but it actually has a lot of meaning, weirdly. At least at least as I've been thinking about it. I could cool. be wrong. I, I, I feel like sometimes I'm way too uh, apologetic to this movie. But uh, No, no. That's super valid. Uh, uh, like I said, I let that line just fly on by because I was like, I don't know what that shit means. <laughs> um, but I remember it specifically because they were like trying to explain the BIOS guy. And I was like, well, I guess at least they tried. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now that you add that meaning to it, it makes a lot more sense. So. Cool. Um, yeah, well, uh, have a good night, man. Thanks again. You too. Yeah. Good, always uh, good talking movies with you. Yeah, that was fun. That was I. I I just, there had been some big, big releases that I had not been able to talk to anybody about. And I was like, let's do it. All right, man. Well, uh, we'll have to, we'll have to compare notes about big releases soon. I haven't seen Malignant yet. People have pretty strong reactions to that. I haven't seen it either. I I had no interest in it. So, (laughs) so I, (laughs) I love James Wan. So wait, that was James Wan or is that the other one? I feel bad comparing them like that. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that I had literally no interest in in malignant at all but i've heard that it for some reason people keep asking about it they keep like what do you think of it i'm like i don't know i haven't even seen it and it's, so for some reason it, it's people keep wanting to know what other people are thinking about it. i need yeah. to see ghost i haven't seen ghostbusters yet so <laughs> i don't i don't want I to uh, from the sounds of it it doesn't do anything it's just kind of fan service audience service well, that sounds about right well, i mean ghostbusters um, has always been that so whatever I mean, I've been saying Ghostbusters 2 is a bad movie for as long as I've known about it and seen it. Ghostbusters just perplexes <laughs> me. It was it was one kind of good movie. And somehow yeah, it's yeah. it's a whole property. Yeah. I guess it's like Jurassic Park. It's like one pretty good movie. And and millions of terrible ones. And somehow... Anyway, whatever. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> All right, Bruce. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later, man. Yeah, see you. Have a good night. <laughs>